some stuff maybe maybe thinking about it something's likes that seems like a good idea we do have mics in front of us yeah. <laughs> uh thank you again by the way for the hospitality bringing us here uh this building is like i said before we started recording this this building is magical like all the different things that happen here uh it's like every turn every window you look in everything there's like some other maddeningly genius alchemy going on it's we're really grateful to be here. And thanks for yeah. doing this, honestly. I um yeah, really paid paid some time for this space. Fuck yeah. Uh Charles, how 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 you been, man? You good? I couldn't be better at this very moment. You are <laughs> you are uh dressed impeccably. I am very much in love with this coat that they well, thank you. It's so my handsome. first Canadian tuxedo. It's hard to tell this is denim because is it's it got really? that sort of like spotting. Yeah, it, I thought know? it was it's, wool. It looks speckled, yeah, and it, it it isn't wool, no, oh. but it looks like, in a, you know, I had to get the pants too. It's called Lure. It's a Chaco Atelier stuff. Lure. Yeah, I feel good in this. It's, uh, it's nice for me to have clothes envy because everyone knows that I could never steal that from you because <laughs> it wouldn't fit. Mm. So <laughs> I'll just compliment it from afar. Quam, what kind of fashion statement is this with the rip all the way down the back of your jacket? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's called Tommy Boy Fashion. Uh, it's from the fat guy in the little coat line. Yeah, coattails are not supposed to go up to your neck. No. Really? Surprisingly. Yeah. Really? I thought it made me look taller. <laughs> you can pull it off. You got this. There you, you go. Yeah. We, no, can all, no yeah, we can all hope. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we're chilling here in the, in, uh, is, this, is the, the official name the Kieran's Food Building? Food building. Food building, just food building. Yeah. Got it. Uh, in lovely Northeast Minneapolis. Uh, you are listening to Libations for Everyone, which I hope you know since you probably clicked on it on your phone to get here or your computer, I guess. Uh, I am Ben Quam, one half of the host, the other half being like, Charles Wog. There he is. And uh, we're, we're on the road. We're in a new location. We're we taking. Are. We're right down the street from where we normally <laughs> record. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. We go really Literally, far. <laughs> we're right down Marshall in northeast Minneapolis along the river and across the street. So. This is the halfway point <laughs> between your studio and P&A Hall where we recorded like the first yeah, season. Right. This is the halfway point. We're so. dotting the map. And then from there, you got Meteor where we've recorded yeah, exactly. as well. And like, then you have... Uh, then we recorded uh, at the bar on East Hennepin one time with... Chef Sutherland. Yeah, at Max Industrial. At Max, Mac, yep, Max yeah. Industrial. So all of the places that we've recorded <laughs> have been within like a mile or two of each other. We could have a bar crawl. Yep. Yeah, we just, we, yeah we exactly. Could, we could organize the, a bar <laughs> The libations for everyone bar crawl. You won't walk far, but you'll get drunk. Yeah. You, you will make it, yep. I promise. Well, we should introduce the third voice since you know our two voices. Uh, my good man, would you tell everyone your name and explain a little bit about uh, what you're up to? Marco is a PA here. Ooh. Here at the food building. Thank yeah. you for making the trek. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, very long journey. The yeah. dangerous journey. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, inspiring. I, um, we are just moved in here about six months ago. Uh, we are a producer, manufacturer of specialty food and beverage. That's Would you move that mic just a little closer? Oh. Beauty. There we go. Here. That's there. wonderful. <laughs> I can use microphone. Good. Um, well, actually, let's take it a step back, though. Who is we? Uh, partners, uh, Dustin Wynn, Adam Weatherspoon. It's kind of like a loose collective of rad people that you know, kind of, we've been working together for a super long time and, uh, yeah, kind of jumped off the cliff and in a weird, weird new world doing weird stuff. 
<laughs> a weird world doing weird stuff. I that's what we're here for. That's what we signed up for. Uh, I wish you could see what we are looking at. Uh, either Charles or I will post a photo of it. But we have uh, I already have. I believe yeah, a virtual cornucopia of yes. beverage vessels in front of us. Yep. Calling oh. heart of Marco is lots of brightly colored beverages, <laughs> and they're all delicious for very different reasons. Mostly pink. Yep. yep. <laughs> different shades of pink. Now there are uh, some smaller cans in front of me, and each label bears a different uh, color on it. What are what are these little little fellas? Those are fermented botanical beverages. So um, bacteria, yeast, um, kind of kombucha esque. But um, we have five master botanical blends that show up in a plethora of different skews and ideas. And this is like our first thing that's like almost one hundred percent. We're ready to launch into the into the world sure um the miel is what i'm sipping on right now uh it's fascinating i don't think i've ever had um like a a a translucent beverage that (laughs) that has those kind of flavors in it uh alan burgo uh forager chef weird alien amazing human being (laughs) uh he turned us on to this uh botanical called the sweet gallium okay part of the cleaver family related to sweet woodruff and Mm. It has more coumarin content than tonka bean, and it grows native here. It's like Amazing. The flavor in the world. It's like Minnesota vanilla marzipan, and uh, that plus uh, Minnesota yellow silver birch and Arroso botanicals, kind of like sarsaparilla, honey, highball. goes very well with whiskey. Well, and that, that's the thing. Like, I thought that this was really playing into, um, like, a cream soda sarsaparilla flavor, and then adding the, the whiskey into it, like, there's... The vanilla comes through really strong because it's, you know, sort of boosted up by the, the whiskey in there. But there's also, like, a, a really beautiful, like, uh, dark chocolate in there awesome. as well. Nice it's, yeah, it's just, uh, I, I, it's very rare that I can say, I don't even know what I would compare this to. I would just tell people to drink it. <laughs> and, like, having, like, a little nostalgia, a little, like, it feels familiar. Yeah, absolutely. It also is just, like fucking delicious <laughs> where 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 does that that plant grow like all over the state or is it yeah it okay. grows in your everywhere it's hiding this little cleaver like gripping other plants and killing them <laughs> and, uh, it has this beautiful octagon um tendrils and, yeah like good shade. thing it tastes good yeah. yeah this is this is absolutely awesome I'm glad you brought up Tonka Bean because the day you and I met was when you were on the original Libations for Everyone. So oh, he's in a very limited crowd of uh, individuals who've been on the podcast and were part of the original series that I used to write. I was going to say, have we ever acknowledged that series on, on the show? We usually bring it up when we have a guest on that had previously been on Got it. that series as well. How long ago was that? Oh, man. Maybe six or seven years ago at this point. That was a ways back when wow. I, met, I met you and Blue, and you were both at oh, yeah. uh, Eat Street Social. Yep, yep. Yeah. And we, had, we also recorded that conversation. <laughs> was that really only that seven was, years ago? It feels like I think so it was much longer. Exactly. It feels like, like over I, 12 I'd have years. To, I'd have to dig in, yeah. but I feel like it was maybe seven years ago. That is wild. Eight today. years ago? I don't know. Who knows? What a life. But that conversation mm. was like four and a half hours long. Also, just a reminder, I had, to, I had to write, I had to, I had to find an article to write out of that. So I was like, uh, and I think I titled it down the rabbit hole because that was having to find a, like a, a, cohesive, a cohesive feature piece. to write out of that recording was quite the challenge. I was like, man, I could write like four things about this. That's one of the conversations that, so that originally made me realize that 
this would perform really well as a podcast and also lent itself to this concept being what it is, is it allows us to go in so many different directions because what would happen when I would interview people like Marco way back then is I would present a topic of conversation and the next thing you know, we're talking about fucking Tonka beans. <laughs> so <laughs> beautiful. Yeah. How has everything been with the podcast and the journey and, um, we, I think we're fortunate enough to have a ton of really cool listeners. This uh, is episode 47. Yeah, 47. Congratulations. Uh, it's, yeah, it's we have amazing. a massive listenership. Um, we're having a lot of fun, which is key because that's... Uh, the that, point? That's what... Yeah, we, we're rewarded in fun. We so far have not monetized this yeah. project. But we'll get there. Hold out. It's also nice, like, we I mean, <laughs> it's a reminder that, like, how fortunate we are, though, you know? Like, we we have full-time careers and, and families and all of that, and w- we have the ability to carve out time to have lengthy conversations over drinks with people that we care about and that we're fascinated by. And that's a really, that's a really cool thing to be able to say. Yeah. You know, there are, there are times in my life where even if this had, if podcasts had been a thing when I was younger, I wouldn't have been able to because I was working 80 or 90 hours a week at least. And when I wasn't doing that, I was at home exhausted. Grind. And it's, it's cool to be at a point where we can do this. And I was going to try and make this point earlier, but also in diagramming a friendship for everybody out there, it's really great for somebody like me to have a friend like Charles who remembers everything because I don't remember what we talked about five minutes ago. <laughs> and I, hopefully it's great for Charles that he can text me from an airplane and be like, should we do this show? And I'm like, fuck yeah, count the, me in. I'm down for whatever. It's beautiful. <laughs> well, cheers to that. Yeah, so well, I, I feel like we should. Uh, yeah. We all have a, a little glass of the, the Banez... Uh, Mezcal. Oh, yeah. Deliciousness in a cup. Mm. And uh, let's put them up, boys. Cheers. Mm, mm, mm. So good. Mm. Should we dive in? Let's do it, man. Quam, you're up to bat. So uh, this spawned from a discussion about yet again a friend of mine telling me that this is the year that rum is going to take off. <laughs> Discussion that I've been having, I believe, since 2006. That's like free pizza tomorrow in a classroom yep. in high school. <laughs> exactly. Just put a sign on the wall that says, this is the year of rum. Yep, the year of rum. <laughs> is I this keep year. saying the summer of sake. Yeah, they, Every single yeah. year, like, sake is going to do it. It's happening. going to come in. I promise. So yeah. what, I, what I was going to ask is what genre of cocktail, of beverage, spirit, do you think deserves the spotlight right now? Like, what do you think or want to see getting the, the spotlight in the scene? Good question. Um, we've been really into, like, the non-alcoholic genre in general. Yeah. And um, it's really, it's harder to make delicious non-alcoholic things than it is to make alcoholic things. Sure. Alcohol is, like, this magical molecule that has an oil-soluble end and a water-soluble end, and you're able to coax out flavors relatively simple, just as it's a solvent and it's a preservative. Non-alcoholics and water-based stuff is really, really hard, and it's blowing up, and there's so many different dope people making dope stuff, and I love that genre, and, like, what can you do and what can you pursue, and I don't know. It's, it's making me very happy right now. Sure. Uh, in the, if you, are are you looking at all things non-alcoholic or are you looking at like 
the the spirit side of things or fully finished like canned cocktails or mocktails or I, uh, beverages? A, a dude named Ben Jordan. He's a company called ABV Technology, and he's a thermodynamic science nerd. Went to the U of M, loved beer, but he uh, he didn't like the drinking as much as he was, and he wanted to like cut back by like ten percent, which I think is a large demographic of individuals, but don't want water or something neutral. Right. So he took a rotovap, which is just a vacuum distillation uh, equipment, and then scaled it into like a 17-foot rectifying tower. So when it's under vacuum, <coughs> you don't denature the... You're able to distill things at like 86 degrees room temperature. And he applied it to beer. He's able to separate the raw molecules and the base of the beer and split off the ethanol and reconstitute the two things together. Fascinating. He's brilliant. Yeah. He's so brilliant. Yeah, it's a great resource for us to have in the Twin Cities here. I don't know if listeners in other cities or countries have something like that, but at Falling Night, for instance, we'll do alcohol removed from a particular beer, and yeah. then we use that alcohol to then make the in-house hard seltzers that yep. we create. Double down, two rocks. Fucking rounds. cool. How, how fortunate are we to have something like yeah. that? So you can have your alcohol-removed beer, which is pretty fantastic as far as alcohol-free beer goes because you brewed it to be beer, and then you remove the alcohol from it, and then you can take that and make a separate product out of it. It's pretty pretty fascinating. It's also immensely frustrating that he's also that smart and incredibly charming. I know. He's like, so handsome. Too. He's going to be, he's going to be on this show. Yeah. We, uh, we went to a, a Timberwolves basketball game, uh, about a month ago and it like, you're not supposed to be able to be that smart and also be like really engaging and, and fun to be around. It's upsetting. It's really yeah. upsetting. Yeah. You know, so. like I, I feel like you, you have to, you have to take away from one column if you're going to give yourself stat points in another column. And he went like how I used to on Madden back in the day. And I just put 99s to everything. It's, it's maddening, but it really is a cool, uh, a cool technology. Yes, exactly. Right now it's beer, right? So all the yep. brewers going to send him the juice. He sends back the two products, but, Changing that technology to do, you know, wines, aperitifs, liqueurs, um, you know, doing spirits is way more challenging. But there's, there's a way to For unlock sure. that potential. And yeah, I think he's brilliant. I'm very excited about it. The NA stuff is a massively growing margin too. Uh, this year it was further illuminated, so it, it is very much here. Dry January was. I think it's the first time that a lot of breweries could point to dry January and be like, we missed out on putting a, particularly on shelves, putting a product on shelves. There were a lot of stores that if you went into them and you looked at that segment of the, the shelf that contains those NA products or the alcohol removed beers, they were, they were picked clear. So it's so cool. It's becoming a thing that people yep. um, are unashamed to do or to uh, partake in. And I think it's a good thing. And people, you know, another thing I think we can all agree is that, doing that intermittently throughout the year is an okay thing to do to Ooh. tell your friends, like, I'm not drinking right now. That's all right to do. I do it on occasion. You know what? I'm not drinking this month. I'll do all the other stuff. I'll eat the steak. I'll, you know, have an NA beverage. We'll build a bonfire. I'll smoke a cigar. But I don't really feel like drinking right now. I think that's becoming more culturally acceptable with like Gen Z coming up and having, I, I don't think drinking's going away in the way that some people think that it is, but <laughs> having the acceptability of people saying like, you know what? I don't feel like drinking right now. Cause when we were fucking kids, you could not, you, if you said that your friends would be like, go home. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> you are, are you're not, not hanging right. out with you anymore. <laughs> right. yeah. 
you are no longer my friend. Turn in your friendship card. Yeah. <laughs> or you're the sober cab. Yeah. There can only be one of you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, on that topic, Charles, what do you, what are you what are you looking for to get the spotlight? What do you think? Either your predicted trend or something that you wish would. Get yeah, there. I'm. I, I think that we've when we've discussed this in the past, we've discussed it like what we predict will happen. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take it the other direction because it may or may not happen. It's an answer that I think will delight Marco and it's vermouth. I, I wish we could get better and more mm -hmm. vermouths available here. Uh, when I was traveling in Spain three years ago for my honeymoon, I remember, you know, obviously you're in Spain, you're drinking vermouths everywhere. But when I we dined at Nerwa in Bilbao at the Guggenheim, and that's a one-star Michelin, and they have great food, but they had this exhaustive vermouth list. And I didn't even want to go into the museum. I was just, I just wanted to behold all the vermouths <laughs> that they had available. And we have a few products available here now, like the uh, Muse is a really great vermouth. I had some of that the other night that Chef sent out for me at um, Bungalow Club. Cool. Um, forgetting that I had it there with him like a month ago, but I was like, don't mind if I do. do I'd love to see more vermouths entering our market that are at that level or perhaps even above. Marco, are you seeing a lot of vermouths entering our market or yeah. is that not really happening still? I think the importer exporters, like they're nervous about it. Vermouth has a bad rap. Um, yeah. You know, but at its bones and structure, it's amazing. It's aromatized, fortified wine beautiful herbs from all over the world representing your terroir and wines. It's amazing. And to combine those two together and fortify it and as long as you treat it properly and with respect and um, yeah, it's one of the best things in the world. Corn yeah, rice, little seltzer. And I think our demographic is starting to open up to it a little more and then that inspires import exporters to bring more into our market. So I think we should encourage them by totally drinking more from it. Maybe a little more self-education instead of people treating it like the cheap uh, additive to existing drinks. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like the, the Frank Sinatra, just like whisper vermouth over the, the martini glass, like that, that generation, and there's nothing wrong with that type of martini, but um, lower ABV, more subtle, more nuanced. Uh, like martini should be creamy, creamy and delightful, and it shouldn't smack you in the face and you know, 16 ounce glass and uh, you're dying at Manny's. Well, uh. that's, that's, that's the thing that always bothered me. Like as a bartender, when I, like I learned cocktails through bartending. Like when I started bartending at 19, every non-alcoholic mixer was on that gun yep. and you had like one or two of each spirit and that was it behind the bar. And I feel really fortunate that I got to live through like the first real wave of, of cocktails but it was really sad when I realized how many people were just drinking like three or four ounces of chilled vodka and calling it a cocktail. Like you're just doing a bigger shot is really all that is. And you're robbing yourself of all of these wonderful and beautiful and, and time painstakingly to create elements. You're, you're taking all of that out. You're like, I just want to get fucked up and not have it taste like anything. Sometimes that's perfect. Totally. You know, dirty martini yeah. straight to the face and like single strain with yes. like the ice rink on top. I love a like crazy that's... dirty martini most of yeah. the time. But I like <laughs> the, the beautiful thing about the martini to me is that if you ask a bartender to make you a martini their way, it's like hiring a chef by telling them to cook you eggs. Yeah. Nope. Like go cook <laughs> eggs exactly five it. ways. Yep. Martini is the one drink where you can say, make me a martini the way you make me a martini. So I, there's something in that that shows like the passion of that. Totally. 
that barman or, 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 or lady or otherwise. That's, and I love that, but I do love a super dirty, like, this is way too much sodium in my system, martini. The time is right. The time is right. <laughs> I, I, I did it last night. I was telling the, the guys before we started recording that I earned myself one fucking hell of a hangover this morning. And uh, I had made, uh, I made a two parts gin, one part damp work Akavit oh, martini. Nice. And I didn't have any uh, brine or olive juice, so I used some uh, kosher dill pickle uh, and Malay Blanc to do the, the sweet and salty together. Mm. And it was spectacular. It was a, a god-awful unholy color. It looked like Mountain Dew. <laughs> but uh, but it, was, it was great. And it was definitely like a, a little bit of a sodium bomb that we balanced yeah. out with the sweetness of Malay Blanc. Yeah, That's but hilarious. it was it was it I was like the floral balance because pickle juice in a martini reads sweet to me in the wrong way, mm. you know, because of the sugar usually that's yep. present in pickles. Yep. So that sounds interesting. It was obviously the aquavit with pickle. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, the, the like that's where it starts. <laughs> it's like to me, the more dill that's in aquavit, the happier that I am because that's just yep. the way that I prefer it. And then it was like once it started rolling, then I'm like, okay, well, I have this really like floral and herbaceous gin, so I'd love to mix that in. And then I tried it without any uh, any any vermouth or, or fortified wine, and it was a little too one note. Mm. Like everything played too much in the same sandbox, so you kind of couldn't tell anything. And then just by adding an ounce of sweetness in there, it really just Boom. livened everything up. And all of a sudden, you could tell distinctly all the way back on your tongue all these different flavors that were poking out. And it made me very Wait, happy. This was last night? Yeah. Okay. No worries. How many did you have? Yeah. I only had one of those. Oh, got it. But <laughs> I <laughs> switched it up a little Hold bit up. real quick. Yeah. <laughs> he just said he experimented for yeah. like four hours. He had yeah, one. Yeah. Just, <laughs> one. <laughs> just had one. On the official ledger, he had yeah. one complete cocktail. Uh-huh. Just All right. Well, yeah. the, I feel you. Like, again, we were, we were settling yeah. a bet. I, I <laughs> lost a fantasy football Super Bowl, and we were settling out a bet, and it involved three bottles of whiskey. Uh, and then it also was dinner, so it involved some bottles of wine. And then it ended with uh, basically a mezcal spritz. Yeah, and so you had a drink. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you look beautiful. You look beautiful. Yeah, yeah we're doing it. Really like good. I said, uh-huh. I, you know, I'm not quite in Charles's category who uh-huh. seems to never get hangovers, but I am of the opinion that it's a mind over matter thing. Like, you get up, you acknowledge that you feel like shit, you put your ass in the shower, and you force yourself to push through. And eventually, for me, I'll break through. It's, it's an hour or two of being sure. miserable. And then, like, all of a sudden, my body's like, all right, fine. You're clearly not going back to bed, so I guess we'll just give up. <laughs> and then you, you go about it, you know? Go but, yeah. Him off, mind over matter. Yes. But with alcohol. Yeah. Not, <laughs> yes, yes. Not cold water. Yeah. Like, uh, I wasn't Chris, yeah. but, but I was there, and I was on point. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to, to answer my own question, first of all, I really do hope that someday that there is a, a, a rum renaissance in, in our society. I think that everything that I adore about whiskey is present in most of the rums that I love. And uh, I just don't understand, and I will never understand, why it's, like, it was a founding spirit for this country, and somehow the, re- the people just think it's not American or something. Like, it's, it's wild. There's a to, disconnect there. Yeah, sure. absolutely. And, Great. you know, the history of it is just, it's, if you actually... Fucked up. Yeah, it's yeah, super fucked up. Uh, it's there should be more movies made. There should be more documentaries made because it is equal parts absolute tragedy and triumph. Like, it's it's wild to see. And, you know, obviously, like, we, it surrounds our country. Like, all of, with the exception of Canada, 
like every country in our hemisphere <laughs> makes some form of rum. And What's your favorite style? French, Spanish? I'm oh. really, I've been nerding out. So um, three years ago, my wife and I were fortunate enough to be invited to a wedding in Bogota, Colombia. And uh, that was really where I, I, was, I had always been fine with rum, but I had never sought out things. And that was where it really changed my mind. Um, I love, I, I'm always really attracted to um, big vanilla floral flavors. And then with that like molasses depth that you get on the finish, I just really love that. So Colombian and like Nicaraguan rums kind of play really well in that category. And then I've also been, uh, we, you know, we don't have a ton of access to some hard-to-find stuff around here, but whenever I come across something that's from one of the islands in the Caribbean, if I haven't had a rum from that island, I will always try it. Um, cool. And my favorite is simply because it was the most magical tour I've ever taken of any beverage facility. But uh, when we were in Puerto Rico, we went to the Ronde Barolito mm-hmm. uh, factory. And, I mean, again, it's just wonderful there. So... Like, that's, that's always going to be with me. That's so great. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to say is, is uh, wines from Eastern Europe. Um, I, we're just starting to get access to some of those here, stuff from Georgia, stuff from, um, you know, that into Montenegro, Bulgaria. Like, there are so many incredible flavors and, and old vines. And they just, because it doesn't say Italy or France on it, it just gets cheap. scoffed at it. Exactly. So, I, like, cheap, on one hand, delicious. I kind of love yeah, it. Don't tell anybody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was we'll just going to say, like, some of my favorite orange wine <laughs> yeah. is Georgian. Yeah. Don't make, don't make uh, people mark that up on me. Well, that's <laughs> so good. But then the flip side is, if not enough people are drinking it, then the, then the distributors won't bring it in. So it's like, you got to find that right. sweet spot. So, like, one out of every three of you <laughs> go out and buy <laughs> wines from regions that you nor- don't normally buy wines from. And then that'll give us enough to keep it cheap, but also get it here. Right. And don't buy the rum. It's already coming. We don't need you to yeah. mark that stuff up on the <laughs> exactly the, the whiskey bro pages. Well, I thought I thought this <laughs> Leave was going to be. Leave my mezcal alone, please. <laughs> yeah. I thought uh, this it's already was expensive. Bartenders are ruining the mezcal. Oh. It's all the uh, Silvestre, like 30-year wild stuff. It's like gone. Gone. And it's going to be like pappy. And I'm going to be yes. so pissed I didn't buy more of it. Right. Yeah. So at some point here, I need to go stock up on the Pachuga while I still can. Okay. Yep. While there's still like 130 bucks before they're like 500 bucks. Yep. Yeah. I really thought that this was going to be the year that, that uh, tequila won over whiskey drinkers, but there's such a shortage of getting tequila into this country that I don't think there's enough supply for enough people to make that leap. George Clooney has enough. Yeah, handsome tequila for all. Exactly. Yeah. I'm over here trying to make that Ryan Reynolds aviation yeah. gin money, son. <laughs> Because <laughs> this is also going to be the year that gin, the gin finally makes oh, it yeah. too. <laughs> uh, it's all when you said it. Mountain Dew colored on the Martini, uh, the cool kids are doing Sue's, which oh. is a gentian liqueur and Mountain Dew. They're trying to make it the new vodka Red Bull. Shut the fuck yeah. up. Jagermeister Red Bull. Sue's uh, gentian and fucking. <laughs> it's, it's hot. It's hot right now. <laughs> oh my God. That is, I don't know how many thousands of of things I would have to put together before I ended up there. I'm having so I'm trouble. changing my answer. It's going to be the <laughs> not that's, that's the future. Summer of love. Just yeah, do it. Is that what they're calling it? Do it. <laughs> it's so terrible. I, although I will say, I, I have to be honest, uh, my most consumed cocktail my first two years in college uh, was nicknamed The Machine 
by uh, a classmate of mine, and they had figured out low-grade science here. They had figured out that if Mountain Dew is cold and then you pour vodka down a spoon, the vodka will just sit on top of the cold Mountain Dew, and then you slam the entire thing, and you don't taste the vodka because it, it's literally a built-in chaser. And that was, the, uh, that was the party starter freshman and sophomore year. If we, we were, were going, just, we were pouring vodka into Mountain Dew cans when I was thirteen. <laughs> we didn't get scientific about that. It was, <laughs> the, the yeah. Hey, Dad. Oh, uh, yeah. We're just watching a, <laughs> we're just watching a movie down here, <laughs> drinking our Mountain Dews. <laughs> Everything's fine. Don't come down here. <laughs> well, to Sue's Gentian Mountain Dews, just fucking do it. <laughs> just Mountain do Dew it. cocktails. Topic number two, Marco. Dun, dun, what dun. is a thing that new restaurants or bars commonly overlook but never should? Oof, that's a good question. You can noodle if you want. Uh, first thing is renting ice machines instead of buying it. That's <laughs> what I'm dealing okay. with right now. <laughs> the cold draft ice machine, it'll always break down. Make someone else Rent service it, it. Service it. Never buy it. That's legit. Hot tip, cold tip. Hot tip. I don't think that there is, after my 17 years in bars and restaurants, I don't think that there's a piece of equipment that is broken down more than an ice machine. They're the worst. It's terrible. (laughs) And it it literally has a single job, just to repeat that, but they always... Just like the ice cream machines at McDonald's. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Who who are facing a massive class action Uh, lawsuit. It's bizarre. I I didn't know this was a thing until like a month ago. Because oh. I don't remember the last time I stepped foot into a McDonald's. <laughs> it's but amazing. Hearing about that, I'm like, how is this a thing? Yeah. All their my ice cream machines are broken. Yep. Oh, good. And, yeah. then, and then they, they created, so if I understand the story right, somebody figured out a way to actually repair them for cheap. Oh, yeah. And then the company, like, created a new standard where if yep. this part gets put into it, then it voids all warranties and anything like that. Like, it's... it's over fucking twist cones, bro? Like, that's where we're at? <laughs> but Let I the love, kid have a cone. I, I love the fact that they're bringing, like, they're, like, in the lawsuit, if you read the, like, their allegations, yeah. they're, like, claiming legitimate, like, emotional harm by having ice cream advertised and not selling ice cream. And I, I love that. I love that there's a lawyer that wrote that's that. trauma. It's trauma there. So everyone's going to get a check for 25 cents. <laughs> My first act of rebellion was purchasing uh, McFlurry. Yeah, right. Like my mom, you know, no sweets, no processed anything, you know, green drink, beet drink. Then she snuck out and I was, you know, 11. I went to McDonald's and I had the hoodie over because I didn't want anyone to recognize me. Big Mac, McFlurry. So, all right, this is fascinating because I had a a very similar upbringing and I want to unpack that a little bit. So, mom, (laughs) was it like a a hippie phase or was it like just health food? I wouldn't say hippie, but she was like into permaculture, like homeopathic medicine and um, you know, herbalism and yeah. We went through every single diet known to man. Sure. Tried all the things and I like I ate to excess at sleepovers yep. because oh, yeah. we never had sugar yeah. cereal <laughs> and we never had pop. Ditto. And I would go to somebody's house and I'd open up the cupboard yep. and it was like lucky charms yep. and frosted flakes. Yep. And that honestly, that was the equivalent of like the way people used to talk about like finding their older brothers like pornos, yeah. like if Wait, I this knew, is why you like cereals and adults, right? Somebody, hmm? absolutely. Of, yeah. 
Yeah, I still you fetishized yeah. it because you were like, I want it so bad. I still, I still feel <laughs> naughty. Like when I eat sugar <laughs> cereal, it's very rare, but every, like about once a year, I will buy a box of cereal and I don't even sit down to eat it. I'll eat it over the sink and just crush flakes. it. No, uh, no. My it's because tricks are for kids. Quite enough, <laughs> yeah. for I'm waiting for that bunny to come <laughs> jack me. Yeah. No, my my last one was uh, was um, um, uh, cinnamon toast crunch. There's a moment. That's so good. There's a moment in cinnamon toast crunch, and it's literally a moment where it's halfway between crunchy and soggy. Yeah. Yep. And if you can get like four or five bites of that perfect moment, it's the greatest thing ever. Euphoria. Yeah, and you then it turns it. into like gruel. I would become friends with someone specifically. Because of their pantry. Yep. It was that and like video games, <laughs> yep. like TV. It was like, yeah. oh, you have a system. All right. Yeah. Become best I like friends. the look yeah. of this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when Brett Frankowski <laughs> got a Nintendo Entertainment System and I did not have one, I'll tell you, my sleepover ratio at Brent's house went through the roof. <laughs> Suddenly, he was a lot cooler. Yep. He's a lot funnier. He's than a lot he was. funnier. Absolutely. Like, oh, shit, you just got a lot funnier, my friend. I'm gonna laugh at all your jokes now. Yeah, yeah. It was that, and then uh, a kid, another kid from school, Eric. His parents bought him Jolt Cola, and that oh, was yeah. every time. Like I'll sleepover at Eric's, we'll crush a Jolt and we'll stay up till four in the morning playing Double Dragon. Well, then I hope his jokes were funny. <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> oh man, that's uh, uh, what what were you even talking? Oh. What what do you what do we yeah. wish that restaurants would focus? Or what on? do you restaurants or bars commonly overlook when they're first uh, putting their plan together or opening that should never be overlooked? Uh, this seems like a really There's so many things. I know <laughs> we can just like ramble and rant like high temp dishwasher. That's why it's a fun question because glassware stations. It's surprising ice bins. Everyone puts like a bottle tree behind their bar that's way too big. Yeah, they, they think yeah. they need all the bottles right next to the rail. And like, no man, I need ice and storage chillers or all glasses that don't stack yeah like, yeah glasses we've all been on the front end of awful. a lot of these type of hospitality style businesses opening and i've done it so many times now that there's like a checklist like no terrible idea nope. wait can't do that why would you do this hold on who decided that like this is a whole list of when things, they don't right? match the bar stations so like there's different equipment oh ratios and Nightmare. Both sets and like, what are you doing? Like <laughs> yeah. One's for a left-handed bartender and one's for a right-handed bartender. <laughs> right. I uh, I have an ex-girlfriend who uh, did the did the Lord's work, as they say, for years, and she was a consultant that would take blueprints from people that were building bars and actually change the schematics so that it was a workable bar for bartenders. And to this day, that's still the greatest job <laughs> of anyone that <laughs> yeah, I know that they've right. done because she made she made livable workstations for bartenders because th what they'll do is you know they figure out like oh we have this much space this is fine and then they fill it with shit yeah what fits not what works exactly <laughs> they just stock right. it with all kinds of stuff that you don't need and equipment that juts out and all of a sudden you're left with like two and a half feet total of space and there's oh, no room for glassware there's no room for anything like that drives me crazy but um, my bigger pet peeve is like, too much space between the bar and the back bar. Mm. They're like seven feet. You're like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you're going to play Twister behind the bar? Running killers? Or or yeah. Like crashing into we people. might do some three cone drills. Yeah. You never know. That's all good. Uh, but I really, I, I just wish that more places took extra time to focus on hospitality. I think that we get so, like, I've been through so many trainings where they just read like every speck of every food item and then they read every mm -hmm. recipe of every cocktail and they're like all right you guys know everything and they walk away they don't give they don't empower employees with 
the knowledge to accurately sell stuff because they're just reading what's on a sheet and they don't talk about the reason that you are going to get paid for this job is because you are bringing people, you're serving people. And when that gets lost, it affects everything else that happens within those four walls. And to me, the focus always has to be, we're here to celebrate with people. We're here to help people through tough times. We're here to assist somebody that just couldn't or chose not to or didn't want to make dinner for themselves or have a cocktail themselves. Mm -hmm. We're giving people a home that might not feel home anywhere else. Mm -hmm. There are so many aspects of it. And Preach. I never hear in, in opening training, like I've, I've opened 29 places, right? Sometimes I was the GM. Sometimes I was just there to do the music and equipment wiring and all that. And I'd listen and it just breaks my heart because I've only, aside from the ones that I've done, I've only heard like three or four of those groups ever even be talked to about hospitality. And to me, that's the essence of all this. Everything else is pomp and circumstance around it, but it has to start with the hospitality and the service of giving your employees an education that they can take with them. And then for that to be echoed out to the guests coming in, yeah. like that's just, that's always going to be it for me. Yeah, that's an interesting one because a lot of times I think when businesses hire service people, they expect them to already good. Be, they expect them to already be good hospitality people. Yeah, they they think that they're only there and educating themselves on the menu, but all the places that are the finest uh, purveyors of that hospitality component are the the restaurateurs and businesses that you can tell take a lot of care in that. Yep. Like you can always tell a Tim McKee place is a Tim McKee place because people are always like uh, friendly and knowledgeable and accommodating and in ways that seem big, but are not very big. You know, I remember when he opened Elgato in the Ophelio space and I was just starting out my life as a 20 something in the fine dining world, like bringing Wake my girlfriend happen. at the time out to eat. And they would, it felt like they were rolling out the red carpet because I'd send an email to the GM because I ate there so frequently that I had his email and I'd be like, hey, it's my girlfriend's birthday next weekend. Like, could I just, could I like buy flowers and drop them off? And they're like, no, fuck that. We'll, we'll make you an arrangement. We'll put it on the table. And I'm like, just add it to the bill. They're like, nonsense. So something like that, that probably cost them $9 because someone ran down the street to the store and got a bouquet of flowers. Like to me, that was so big mm -hmm. that like, for me at the time, it was life-changing. Like, wow, what did I do to deserve this treatment? You can always tell the places that take that extra attention mm -hmm. to make sure that everybody's trained up and, you know, give them a, pour a little extra over the top, say, whoops. Like, major places will do that. You yeah. know, French Laundry did that. And, whoops. And they pour you a little extra and you're like, oh, you're not supposed to do that. But, like, <laughs> yeah, they are. Like, they know, yeah. right? They have the leeway. Well, and, and even taking that uh, a couple pegs down um, into just, like, your casual bar space, if anyone, I, uh, to all of our listeners out there, think of your favorite bartenders or, or your favorite bar, bar experiences. Very rarely in my discussions with people on this topic, very, very rarely does anybody tell me that it was because somebody created a drink that was so mind-blowing that they couldn't figure out what was going on. Usually mm -hmm. it's because somebody was a little extra kind. Somebody was interested. Somebody yeah. gave them some advice in a, a city that they, they didn't know very well where to go. Those are moments, like, I still think about that in cities that I've traveled to. Like, that's a human being I will probably never see again for the rest of my life. But that little bit of kindness in a 20 or 30 minute interaction is enough that I still think about that person. 
You know, like I would hope that I would recognize them if I ever walked by them just to say thank you. And we, we have the ability in the service industry to create those moments for people. And when that's not focused on, you can tell right away. Yep. And when it is focused on, you can tell right away. And that usually ends up being at the root of whether or not I love a place when I go out and spend money there. You know, like there's plenty of times that I've thrown gobs of money at an indifferent staff and moderately good food. That's a part of the whole thing. But the places that stand out to me, it's very rarely because it was a dish that was so good I couldn't believe it. Yeah. It's because I felt like I was seen and I was heard and I was a part of that person's magic. Yeah. And I, I love that. Where was the space that uh, embodied that the most? Um, right off the top of my head, the first place that comes to my mind is the very first time that my wife and I went to IMCO in Oslo. Um, I am now friends with, uh, who at the time was the general manager there, but previous to that, our bartender in Oslo, Norway was an expat. Odd? Brit, yes. Yeah, oh, so yeah. good. Odds my dude. I love him so much. Oh, um, but uh, there was an expat Brit named Adam. Okay. And <clears throat> he was watching me uh, when I lived there. That was a space that they threw raves in. Yeah. And I didn't recognize it until we walked in that, oh, my God, I've spent so much time listening to trance and allegedly enjoying a number of illicit things. <laughs> and he was watching my face. And he was like, I just have to ask, like, what is it? <laughs> what is it about this room that's really like, blowing your mind? And I told him that story, and we ended up talking. And uh, he walked us through all of their different akavits, which was wonderful because my wife had never really had anything like that. And then he basically updated me on a city that I love with all of my heart. And he told me all of the places that he loves to go. And when he moved here, this was the thing, and this is that. And it, we went home that night, like, just blissfully drunk, but also like I had a new outlook on a city that I consider home. And it was simply because he saw the look on my face and was fascinated to figure out why my face looked like that as I was looking around at all the walls. And we ended up like we exchanged emails for a while. Like he was a sweet dude. And that was literally, we were going to stop in and have a cocktail and then be on our way. And we spent the rest of the night there and it changed where we went for the next couple of days because of the advice that he gave me. And that, that then became my favorite bar. Then we went back every time we went to Norway. The next time we went, I met Odd. Yep. Him and I hit it off, and we're still friends to this day because of that. The intentionality in that sort of moment of taking, seeing it, engaging that partnership. Yeah. And that relationship that you created, empathy. Uh, there's a nobility in service. Absolutely there is. To take pride in it and to to engage in that moment. Well, and it was also beautiful because as I realized like how much of a great time I was having and how kind he was being, we weren't the only people he was doing that with. Like he was a consummate bartender yep. because he was just going back and forth down his like 16 seat bar. Everyone at the bar got yep. that level of service. And that like, that may sound like maybe I would be mad that I wasn't unique, but that made me feel so happy to like, oh no, I'm here at a bar where someone gets it. And everyone that I've met that works at that bar embodies those same characteristics. Follow-up question. Is that hospitality or that empathy, like emotional intelligence, is that intrinsic or is it teachable? Trainable? I think it can be both. I think that empathy is, is a tough thing because our society, I, can't, I can only speak for yeah. us in the U.S., 
but our society also does not preach it as valued but it's getting to that point like people are starting to talk about it more but i don't remember when i was a kid or high school or college anybody ever really talking about empathy so i think that part of it is it needs to be nurtured as far as like your culture goes but you can absolutely you can find the seed and you can help that seed grow i think that that there is a i i maybe this is me being a little pollyannish but i think that everybody has a the capacity to care for strangers and the capacity to to feel empathetic towards situations, it's up to us whether or not we cover that up or if we let it grow. Well said. And, and I think that if you if you exist in an environment, whether that's work or that's your home or that's your community, if you exist in an environment where that is fostered and that is helped to grow, that then you can absolutely build on top of that. And I am a working example of that. I still lay in bed sometimes thinking about nightmarish things that I said and did when I was in my early 20s or even early 30s, you know? <clears throat> Every day is a chance for me to develop into more empathetic of a creature. Gotta do the work. Yeah, that's One it. Step, new chapters. I think you also I'm need the energy for those communications as well. Yeah. Some people don't have the energy to communicate so many times so faithfully with so many people. Like my wife, bless her heart, is a school teacher. She has to have a lot of the same conversations throughout the day, yep. and she has to do it well because otherwise you're not good at what you do. And I think it's the same thing is true when he's going up and down the bar and having those interactions with people. You also just have to have the energy. So I think that can be that can be genetic, like that you are or aren't like a social person or you don't have high drive and energy. So. Yeah, it's not mutually exclusive. I think it's like you can jump, but can you shoot the ball? Yeah. You know, like <laughs> we can teach you one of them. Mm -hmm. We can't teach you the other one. But if you got them both, then you got a good jump shot. That's that's absolutely legit. And I, I will say I agree with you on the energy thing. I hadn't really mm -hmm. thought about that. But um, I've I've done plenty of physical labor in my life. Nothing exhausts me more than when I get home from like emceeing a charity gig. Oh man. Cuz there's there's sure. just so many conversations He's that have done. to be had. Yeah. yeah. Like it's absolutely taxing and it's not I, I never break a sweat. Like there's no there's no nerves involved in it for me, but it's having a, a, a like an honest conversation over and over for 6 straight hours absolutely can be draining. Right for all the mental energy it takes for what I do and all the things that I have to juggle, I don't necessarily have to communicate with people all day every day. If I'm getting blown up on Slack and I already know like what the mission is, I'll just shut it down and and you know full speed ahead. For for someone like my wife, when she has no choice but to communicate with hundreds, hundreds, hundreds? of students every day. At the end of the day, I definitely you know I'm naturally a very energetic person, but I also have a lot of energy at the end of the day because. I didn't have to have a conversation with 319 people today. And I would not do that. Like it's, I would not have, I wouldn't do something for a living in which I would have to do that personally. This is not, it's not in my programming. Yeah. I wouldn't have the patience for that. It's, that is interesting to consider. Marco, can I kick that question that you asked me back to you? Like, is there something that stands mm -hmm. out in your mind from a place that you've been or? Oh man, I, uh, there's so many little moments. Yeah. Um, but then like growth and evolution. And I mean, the service and the industry, and it's so much fun. And there's so many different mentors or pieces where it, 
I saw that it could be more than just a um, transactional mm-hmm. event. Mm-hmm. Um, being a part of people's lives, being a part of the community, um, you know, bringing joy, happiness, love, respect, and you know, not having to sacrifice authenticity for attachment. And like, there's just so many, too many people to like mention. But that's taking pride in that work and that nobility and service. It's a beautiful career and craft, and it's worth dedicating a lot of time and prescribing importance onto. Absolutely. I feel like, I mean, Charles, what do you, where do you, how would you answer that question? Like, what do you see? Which part of the equation? Well, bringing it back to your original question, like, what do you see missing? Oh, certainly. Um, My answer is something that you certainly would agree with, Quam, acoustics. (laughs) It's it's funny how nobody, (laughs) no one thinks about acoustics because I show up at the end and I'm like, what did you guys do for acoustics? Like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, it's always the thing that gets cut. You're in the tiny ass room here. You're surrounded by windows. Um, There's one particular place in Minneapolis. I won't name it, but I remember, um, you know, because we were talking about like hearing the sound of your own voice. There's this place I went to and I was invited to the soft open. This is a long time. This is like probably 15 years ago now. And um, they have a retractable glass and metal enclosure they did not consider that when it's closed in the winter in the state of Minnesota, it's literally just bouncing sound. Yep. And I was screaming so loud at my girlfriend at the time, the conversation we were having, I swore my salad fork was like a tuning fork. It was vibrating <laughs> in my hand. Everybody, yeah. Everybody was screaming, what? Across the room at each other. Uh, that was, yeah. So that, that's something that I don't think is considered frequently enough. That's, that's the whole answer. We don't have to get into the technology, but yeah. holy shit, think about it, dude. How loud is your room? Because right. there's a reason there's like four things on review platforms, and one of them is sound, noise level. Why is one of them noise level, That's service, true. food, cost, noise level? It's because you motherfuckers didn't think about the acoustics, and people cannot hear their own voice, and they go home with a goddamn headache, and it's not from the cheap wine. There is a, there's a, we're fortunate enough in this city to have the <laughs> quietest room on earth oh, right, in, in the city limits, and... What the company that owns it, uh, what they actually make their money from is redesigning acoustics um, in public areas. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> what's that? Where is it? Uh, it's uh, right off of Hiawatha down in um, oh. that little corner of South Minneapolis, like on your way to Minnehaha Falls. I it's have to go. Uh, right, like literally it's kind of an industrial area. It's a very nondescript, like one story strip mall basically. And uh, it's a state-of-the-art recording studio. It's where Bob Dylan recorded Blood on the Tracks. Prince recorded an entire album that he never released there. It's a beautiful recording studio. And they still do some, some artist recordings, but what they're, what they're making most of their business, mo- most of their profits on, is um, helping assisted living facilities and, and old folks' homes um, redesign all of the acoustics in there. Because what they've figured out is that um, a lot of the worst symptoms of Alzheimer's and dementia are triggered by outer changes. So from a dark room to a bright white lunchroom, or from a quiet room to a very noisy room, that change is actually something that 
kicks your brain into overdrive, pushing out all of the symptoms of dementia. That's where a lot of the confusion comes from, where a lot that's of the anger right. comes from. So they soundproof a lot of the units? Is so kind of what, they do? what, what pretty, they're doing is ingenious. They, they have figured out, because they also do the, the lighting aspect of it, and they've figured out that up lighting helps a lot because it's not giant bright things shining down on you. Sure. It warmly glows an entire room. Yeah. And then anywhere where people gather, they're helping with um, sound dampening uh, fabrics and foams to try and keep that ambient noise down sure. so that going from your room watching Matlock to <laughs> going to get some food doesn't freak you out. And I thought that's something that had never occurred to me until I took that tour and it was absolutely mind-blowing. That's fascinating. Like, I, I just... It makes all the it sense. It makes all the sense. Yeah. Like, as soon more as he said it... stuff that there should be more documentaries <laughs> right, about. Right, exactly. And maybe I wouldn't have to walk into a brand new brew pub and say, hey, what you guys... Uh, Young can, Joni's You can hear me from across the bar is because... Like perfect. Yes. Yeah. So good. Yeah. You know Kurt Leviticus? Yeah. Oh, God. His sound system's... He's... It's amazing. It's perfect. It's amazing. <laughs> I want it. Uh... <laughs> I forget the spot, but uh, James Murphy's behind uh, Four Horsemen. Yep. Like his sound system in there, just like heavenly. Well, it's the greatest okay. space to be in. And it's not, it's not, he spent a ton of money. It's being thoughtful about how you do it. It's okay. not expensive. You know, like, it's a lot of people don't account for it. Correct. But at Falling Knife, you know, we did acoustics throughout there because if you want to listen to some tunes, you can go play the jukebox. You can go in back and the pinball machine is going to ring your ears out, but if you just want to relax and have a beer and not look at TVs or anything, you sit in that front room mm -hmm. and there's acoustic dampening throughout. So you can relax, sit down, hear the sound of your own voice and not yeah. have to depart. I love them so much. You can't fucking, you cannot focus on a single thought because people are screaming and playing pinball. The angriest that I've ever been at a bar that wasn't directed at a human for mm -hmm. something that they had done <laughs> was, uh, I, I, I won't say it by name, but there is, there is a bar slash nightclub in Las Vegas that has more money than any bar I've ever seen opened. The company that owns them is worth billions and billions of dollars. The bar is very wide and very shallow. So it forms a, a really oblong rectangle. And with all of the money on earth, they put four fucking speakers on and they put them in the four fucking corners. So they hate you. The they bar, don't be happy. <laughs> the bar is in the middle of the room. And they want everybody at the bar to be able to hear the music, so they just turn it up louder. Can I guess the bar, please? Please. Uh, is it Ghost Bar at the Palms? It's not, but it is very similar <laughs> in layout. <laughs> and it sounded like that's what you were describing. I and they have all the glass floors, yep. and it's super fucking loud in there, even with all the doors open. Okay, I was wrong. I was close. I, 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 used, <laughs> so I used some cred that I used to have, and we got in, didn't have to wait in line, and I was so thrilled and then I walked in and my fists immediately bawled because I looked up, I heard how loud it was, and I'm like, I know what these motherfuckers did. And then I was like, okay, well. You bawled a fist like Arthur? Yeah, absolutely. I went, I went hard Arthur on it. <laughs> <laughs> and I walked up to the bar and I was like, okay, I was the one who said we had to come here. I brought my friends here. I used whatever little cachet I had hard to get Arthur. us in. So we're going to... <laughs> I'm so, so sorry. So, Please forgive me. And I was like, I'm going to have one cocktail, and then I'm going to tell my friends that we have to leave because I can't fucking deal with this. And then that was when I realized that at the bar, the fucking back, it would be the back right speaker 
was blown. The, the mid was blown. Yeah, okay. You and told I've the told you on that. that level yeah. before. Maybe you just told me that privately, but I, okay. Yeah. I <laughs> lost my fucking mind, and that I literally awesome. slammed my cocktail and grabbed my friends. Like I'm like, sorry, we have to go. Misophonia episode for Oh, you. my God. Mm, like, I, to this day, and that's all it was. It was literally, <laughs> we... We, we spent over the top, we have imported Italian marble floors and the most bonkers fucking wine list. And you overtaxed four fucking JBLs in the corners of the place. Like I walked around just hoping maybe there was a speaker that I had missed. No, there's not. You just, you poorly designed it. And I hate everything about it. <laughs> so obscenely mad. Well, <laughs> cheers to single serving friends to and to bars will never return to. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, to get us, after my slight little anger there, to get us back into a more positive space. Uh, Marco, one of my favorite things about you is uh, in, in, in my pantheon of friends, you are one of two men that every time I see, I smooch. I very much enjoy that. Charles, you and I have also talked a lot about males hugging and expressing physical affection for each other. To both of you, what can we do to maybe like further that. How, I feel like we've seen some changes in our society where it is a little bit more open to talk about uh, affection between males, but I feel like we're still not quite there yet. Like Charles, you had referenced a meme that was going around. Mm -hmm. You know, like we're, it's now at least being talked about, you know? But like where, where does that, where does that comfortability and openness, like where does that root with you? And do you have any idea how we can help spread that? Yeah, we're fucked. <laughs> uh, I mean, the vulnerability piece and um, going back to attachment and authenticity, and I think we we have a belief that if we're not the version that we think you want me to be, that we won't be friends. Yeah. And that's scary. So we, like, just drop the things that are right for us and are ourselves and we project an image that um, we think others want to be. And I think we all want to be free and we all want to be um, going through life and love and purpose and, um, you know, sharing, sharing that vision for what we want to grow. And um, yeah. Uh, in a romantic partnership, um, you know, it's easy to fall in love with somebody for sure. If you don't share that same vision, you have no business being with that person. That's fucking real. And that is applicable to male friendships and business partnerships and everything else. Hell yeah. And then vulnerability and, um, um, you know, affection, you know, physical, emotional, uh, spiritual. There's, there's no models for that. And yeah. it's, um, it's hard. It's hard to break that or, um, go towards that version of yourself that feels more free. Did you, would you, have you always been, been open like that with affection or is that something that was uh, intentional or was there like a, a moment where you yeah. decided I was going to be more free? Uh, again, lots of chapters in Marco and <laughs> all the mistakes and done all the dumb shit and um, been many versions of I think that's the all of us at this table, 100%. You know, <laughs> like that developmental work and the, being intentional about it, the same thing with hospitality we're talking about. Um, that was inspired by 
all of my partnerships and friendships and loves and um, you know the boys in that room that's next to us like that's that's that family and um, you know there's nothing to hide and be shameful about it yeah you know, it's just that, that feels true and it's hard it's way harder than uh, having a facade for something different um, but it's worth it it feels good hell yeah makes me happy and hopefully that that's as equally as contagious as all the other um, pieces, you know, narcissism, cynicism, uh, shit talking. Like all of that is what's acceptable in the norm in certain groups and situations, and especially in like the machismo, bravado. Um, I need to assert my uh, my worth in this space, primordial, you know, ape. <laughs> you know, and then there's some biological shit there. Yeah, you know, testosterone's a bitch, right? It's a struggle. Yeah, that's that's real. <laughs> I mean, Charles, where where do you where do you find the roots in that? Yeah, I uh, at, so at my current stage in my life, I just don't surround myself with people that I don't have good energy with. I don't have to. Uh, there's a thing I like to say to my wife if things aren't going well with someone that I've known for a long time and maybe they're not particularly close to me is I have enough friends. doesn't mean that friends are disposable. It just means that sometimes you find out your energy doesn't match with somebody else. I remember Rob Van Dam was on a podcast like six or seven years ago that I was listening to when Marnie and I were in California driving around in a rent-a-car. And he said some, he was talking about like, it sounded almost more spiritual about uh, energies matching and I was like, I don't really get what that means because I wasn't quite there yet, but now I fully understand it. And I know what energy vampires are. And I know that like sometimes people, they don't vibe with you. It could be that I'm the weird one, but you just, you learn that you don't really meet the same wavelength and that's okay. Which is all to say that I like to think with the people that I surround myself with today, I can be my authentic self. The thing that has robbed me of that type of like physical intimacy with platonic friends, f female and male both, which is usually like a good hard squeeze or sitting next to each other with your arm around one another, all things that I absolutely enjoy doing, a kiss on the cheek, is clearly the circumstances that we've all had to deal with the last couple of years and the fact that I have to be a little more careful than most other people. Correct. So it's been taken from me on that basis but I also, the, the positive in that is that I can see that people of, of Quam, particularly Quam's age and my age, we're in our 40s. So I think that that shows, even though, yes, Marco, we are fucking doomed, mm -hmm. shows there is some promise. You know, there's some hope in terms of that. That meme specifically that you referred to, which was being reposted everywhere, including by Chef Sutherland the other day, uh, basically espoused that not all... Um, not all soulmates are romantic. And I was like, how fucking true is that? And why don't we talk about it, right? I have many friends that I feel a bond with that is essentially unbreakable by the universe. Like there's just something between us where many of us, we can all point to people in our lives that when they're gone, if they are to be gone before us, whether that means like physically or this mortal plane where it would fucking wreck us. 
my cat Lucky is one of my soulmates, right? When like I sometimes think about that, like a total fucking loser. How when that cat is gone, I will be absolutely devastated. And of course, I have people in my life like my friend Brandon, who like we're just the way we connect mentally, we're totally like we're bound like our brains are bound like an infinity symbol. We just understand every thought that comes out of one another's minds because we've known one another for so many years and we're just simpatico in that way. We're fucking soulmates, right? Can we can we say so that good. about one another, right? It's okay to say and <coughs> even even if somebody wants to sexualize it, we don't we should not care <laughs> because that impedes us also from having um the types of bonds and relationships that we should have is because of like the false machismo and and it, partly human nature but also partly societally being raised to think that only hug your female friends which spoiler alert guys that's the creepiest fucking thing it's you can so do it's so gross if you actually break a, that down particularly if it's like a group of colleagues or something or coworkers and yeah. then you're having a happy hour and you only hug your your uh, that one guy you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you you only hug certain people it looks weird. It looks Trust really, me. And they not, fucking know. You're not yeah. doing the right thing. You're doing the wrong thing. You just switch it. Only hug dudes from now on. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. Which like. Go there. Yeah. But, and it, but that also has a problem where it shows like a power dynamic where it's like, wait, so they don't. So hug everyone or hug no one. <laughs> Actually, don't hug anyone that you work with. Yeah. Shake their hands. It's good enough. Uh, oh, I'm, but, I, I don't think I could ever do that. I got people every yeah. job. I'm oh yeah, for sure. But like we work in, we, well, we yeah. work in fields where it is, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah we're definitely There's not no, sitting in a cube. There's no like a uh, dynamic of um, power exchange when it comes to like the way that you greet people in, fortunately in the fields in which we all um, make our stations in life. But yes, TLDL. Uh, I love it. I want to do more of it. The world is impeding me a little bit, but so if you're my friend and you're listening to me and I haven't been hugging you a lot lately, it's because I have to ration them. So it's also like a, um, it's like a, it's like a commodity. Hug so if, rations. If, if I give you, yeah, if I ration you a hug and I, if I see you and I give you a hug and it's like the one hug I give you in three months, just know like I've probably got a timer in my head. Like I can't hug him every time I see him because I got to be smart. But I, I do want to hug that guy. There's going to be some crazy case studies that come out in the last two years. Yeah. And yeah. what that has done with that relationship, intimacy, even the dementia stuff. Like the, yeah. the acceleration of like not having that familiarity in that moment. Sure. Even just like creativity, uh, co-creation, coming up with new ideas. Like that act of intimacy and sharing like makes... That, that is the creative spark. Um, We're missing a lot of endorphins because we've been unable yep. to like, you know, someone whose grandmother is in her 90s at a nursing home and you want to just go grab her hand. There are people who haven't been able to do that. Heartbreaking. Yeah. That's, it's so wild to, to think about how how fragile like this whole thing is. <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. that, that, that is something, but it, but it is, that is 100% something. Like for me, the roots of my physical affection were because I grew up really lonely. You know, I, I lived in a single parent household and my mom worked her fucking ass off, but she was gone a lot. So I had like a steady stream of babysitters that were all very nice. I never had like a nightmare episode. Like even, even my babysitter that took me with to sell drugs at Bryant Lake Bowl back in the day, he was fucking cool as shit. And I didn't realize what he was doing until I got to college. And I'm like, oh my God. I was the reason that nobody would ever question what he was doing. That's perfect. But 
as I, as testosterone kicked in and hormones kicked in, I just remember, I, I just desperately wanted like affection. And so I also being tall and being a bigger dude my whole life, I got good at giving hugs. And I realized that that gave me absolutely as much, if not more joy as it did to whoever was getting a hug. And then it just went from there. And I was fortunate enough because I've always been, I don't know, I've always been a little bit of like, if that's what you think, fuck that. I'm going to go do this. I don't, I don't like being penned in by anything, and that usually pushes me to do something in an equal and opposite direction. And the more in high school, really in high school, but even in college a little bit, the more that that sparked like homophobic slurs, the more I was like, well, I'll just double down on it then. And I was fortunate enough to find a crew of, of men to be friends with who felt the same way. And it's been really interesting as I've gotten older that usually the men who are openly or who are open in expressing their affection end up being the people that I like as humans the most anyway because that's just a little chunk of the empathy that they see in the world is I want to express my joy at being around you because I should. Because what the fuck are we doing if we're not remarking, hey, this is pretty nice. Yeah. Hey, I really enjoy you being yeah. here. Like nobody is going to, if, if I'm fortunate enough to be given enough time to contemplate my mortality before I pass, there's no fucking way I'm going to say, I think I gave too many hugs or like <laughs> I kissed too many of my friends. I said, I love you. Like, that's not a thing. That no. will never be a thing. No one has ever written a story of like, I think I felt too much love. You know, have you uh, written your own eulogy? Absolutely. On that? Yep. Ch Charles. Oh uh -huh. yeah. Uh, Every day I revise it. Oh my God. That's the kind of fucking it's ego man. Terrifying, <laughs> awful, beautiful thing. Yeah. Like, you know, I just did it for the first time. Oh, uh, I did you. I okay. have a printed copy in my safety deposit box. And like what's actually important and what's actually real. And then, Hey, you're a fantastic hugger too. Which is stop and acknowledge <laughs> that. I thank you. Wow. But in with mortality and the idea of you know if, um, there's an expiration, what do you want people to say about you? Yeah, and it's not the awards or accolades or financial wealth. It's how you made people feel. It's how you touched this world. It's how you showed up. It's how you made people feel. And the nicest thing that I have felt in the last two and a half years was when I realized that in that first like when everything shut down those first couple weeks of the pandemic and everybody was stuck at home and nobody was doing anything. We were, you know, fucking spraying cleaning spray and wrapping things in saran wrap. Cause we thought you could get it from touching a table. <laughs> uh, I had like a, like a holster with a sanitizer. Exactly. Was like a little, oh, I, uh, over I here. had the UV wand. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I thought yeah. that was a savvy move. I was so I'm going back to the other question. I thought copper handles were going to go everywhere. <laughs> like right? that, that's yeah. what all restaurants needed to do. There you go. Yeah. Let's get some copper and some yeah. shit. <laughs> but I was looking for a, a text from a friend. I was going to send a picture to another friend that I had posted in a, a text thread. And as I was scrolling, I realized I had two full finger scrolls of people texting saying, you know what I miss right now is a hug from you. And I thought that is probably the greatest compliment outside of my wife saying yes when I asked her to marry me. That's probably the greatest compliment that I've ever received. And it wasn't from one person. It was from a number of people. But it was also a reminder that that's a thing because so many people 
are withholding in their affection. Like, I, I, I like to think that I give a pretty damn good hug, but I bet if everybody gave hugs freely, there was a, there's a lot of really good huggers in people's <laughs> lives. But so many people clam up when it comes to affection. And I'm, I don't ever want anybody to do anything that they don't feel comfortable with. But at the same time, I just, I see so many people that walk around this life completely bottled up. And I want desperately, especially the men in my life, I desperately want them to open up and just yeah. say it's okay. Like, wh- if you don't like affection, my brother just does not like physical touching. That is totally fine, and that's yeah. a separate thing. Right, that's a, a part of the equation as well. Thinking I don't want to hug somebody because somebody might throw a slur at me is mortifying. That we still lock down our society with that kind of toxic rigidity and that kind of fear-based bullshit. Yeah. And I, I think just, it's, I, I think the more the more sinister effect is uh, the the voice in the back of the head than it is being judged by anybody around absolutely. you. Absolutely. Just out of conditioning through our childhoods if we were raised, for instance, in the 80s, right? Yep. Where it's just like, it's hard sometimes to deprogram that type of indoctrination. And for some people, maybe like, I wish I could hug my friend, but I can't start today. He's known me for 40 years and I've never hugged him. You know what I mean? Like, that, that, that makes me sad. Yeah. Inner monologue. Tell so many stories and we make so many judgments, but like we hold it in and we don't feel like we can share it for right fear of judgment and them telling stories and that trust is trust takes trust makes everything happen and it takes so much energy and attention and like we never talk about it. I just feel like the more that you don't talk about that, the higher the risk of that turning into necrosis becomes, and you just get this like inner rot. Where it starts to affect your affection for you. Oh, yeah, it absolutely is. And you and have empathy for people that are in that headspace and you don't know what trauma they went yeah. through or what shit they went through. And you were able to, to name the thing from childhood on and yep. your fear response. And by naming it, like you're taking power away from it. Correct. And the majority of people aren't there and aren't able to do that. But I think everyone wants to. They want to get to that point. I hope so. Like, this thing has power over me. I want to name it, do that work, jump in, and it's going to be messy. Like, getting, taking that box out and opening it up, like, that takes a lot of fucking work. It sucks. <laughs> it sucks. It's awful. But the mess, to me, it, it's, the, it's what saved my life. Yeah. You know? Uh, going back to the soulmates thing, I mean, it's been really weird. Like, Charles and I, Marco, have been friends for years. Um, you know, meeting for the first time at Iron Bartender. And it's really weird the, the longer that this goes on and the closer that our friendship gets, how much more alike I keep finding out that you and I are. And it's, yeah. it, uh, again, it's just one of those things of whatever it was, I recognized in my heart for both of you that these are people that I want to be around more. Whatever it is about both of you, I'm just drawn to that. And I learn more. I can be whoever, like, I really am. There's, there's all these aspects to it. But it's so funny that, like, with both of you, from the minute that I met you, I've, everything that I've learned about you has made me like you more. But it's just being open to that first, like, hey, this is a person that you should be around and you should feel affection for. And then, I mean obviously there are some wolf and sheep sheep's clothing kind of people 
But for the most part, it's like, oh shit, yeah, something in my subconscious knew this right off the bat, and then everything that I've learned since then has done nothing but but double down on that. And I think that I could only feel that by being open to affection, by being open to the idea of male bonding. Sure. And when I don't you know. let people be themselves, you also can more hurriedly find out their negative qualities yeah. and whether or not they jive mm. with you, right? Like, I'm going to oh let you God. totally be yourself. Okay, <laughs> you I don't know. like that thing about you. I mean, I can't tell you how many times <laughs> I've walked retract. back. Like, we, my wife and I have run into somebody at a bar, and I'll be like, hey, what's up, man? And I'll just go for, like, a quick handshake, and we'll talk for two minutes, and then we walk away. I'm like, oh, fuck that guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like, there, there's definitely, there's layers to it, and there's definitely a, a, a negative side, too. But, yeah, I just, I don't know. It's this last run through the pandemic has really reminded me slash taught me uh, new lessons in the power of, yeah. of authenticity and affection. You and two are both married, right? Correct. And in that partnership, like you got to this place and it doesn't get easier, right? Mm-mm. It's harder. It's that, that, that process and there's things that are missing and things that are present. You want to like celebrate the present and then talk about the missing. Yeah. Like, hey, this is what I want to do with you and here's where I want to get to and like I feel like this isn't here like to work on this with you what if we did that with our dude friends yeah like that's right. that would be big dude i'm i'm for it absolutely i love that i love everything about that because that's it. like you know there were some trying times we, we talked about this a little bit on our last episode but you know i lost my brother a few months before the the plague hit I'm and sorry, man. i hadn't processed any of it yeah and then my wife and i were locked in a house every single day together and it forced a conversation that had to be had because I was being completely unfair. I had shut down my emotions, which I think is still understandable and a take that a lot of humans would have. But in doing that, I froze out my partner in life and I didn't even realize it because I literally just couldn't see colors anymore. Everything was black and white and it was hard for us to sit down and have that conversation because she wasn't saying, I don't know if you love me. She was saying, I don't know if the guy that I am in love with is there right now. Can you come back? And it, it was a necessary wow. conversation. And I wish I've watched friends of mine slip farther away than I had gotten at that point. And I had, thought wrongly that that wasn't my place to say something. And I think that that's a really, that's also a part of all this is we also need to look at each other in friendships when you see somebody slipping away a little bit too to step in and say, hey, we need to be honest about this because I love you and I don't know where you're headed right now. And a lot of us, I will say myself, I I can't project that on you guys, that's a conversation that I am just now becoming comfortable enough to have with the people that I love. But 10 years ago, I wouldn't have had that conversation. 20 years ago, I absolutely sure. wouldn't have even acknowledged that it was a thing. It I, couldn't have happened. No, yeah, absolutely not. Time, like, absolutely not. The closer I am to someone, the more honest I am with them, for better or worse, because sometimes it, you find out that that dynamic doesn't work for somebody. That can also manifest itself in humor. Like, I have a really old friend that I was giving merciless amounts of shit because I hadn't seen him for much of our adult lives, and he had kids and stuff, and I treated him the way that I treated him when we lived together, and 
he actually pulled me aside and was like, I, I cannot take any more of this uh, uh, giving me a hard time. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. It's over. Like, yep. I don't know how long you've held this in, but I'm sorry. This is just the way I communicate with my friends. Did you show it doesn't up? work for you anymore. But thank you for saying that. Now I know it, and I won't do it anymore. And he's like, thank God you responded like that. I thought you were going to get mad at me. I'm like, no, I feel embarrassed. I didn't realize that it was hurting your feelings. I just, this is the way I, the closer I am to someone, the more shit that I give them. But that also manifests in ways like that where I can often be the person to tell a friend, like, knock it off. Like, stop. Like, yep. Brandon Brandon calls me dad. He calls me the, the beard faza. Because... <laughs> You know, throughout his adult That's life. When Sorry, hold on. Trademark That's just, it. Yeah, yeah trademark yeah, that yeah. shit. Yeah. That is a fantastic nickname. That's the URL taken. <laughs> yeah. So in our adult lives, when when I caught him slipping, I'm the one who like grabs him by his nape and says, cut it the fuck out. Yep. And, and him being, you know, an equal to me as friends, he would say, you're right. Okay. Because I wouldn't do it if it wasn't something he needed. It's not about me, it's about him. So I tell him, knock it the fuck off. And he says, okay, you're right. Thanks for straightening me out. And I love that, but you can't get there if you're not willing to express yourself yeah. fully. When I, uh, so good. A former guest of the podcast and very close friend of mine, Paul Hennessy. Um, Paul and I lived together for one year as we both went through divorces. And uh, Paul was the first person to call me on my bullshit and we were uh we were at a dive bar together and he just looked at me and he's like hey uh i'm gonna give you two weeks and then after that i'm not putting up with this shit anymore like two weeks absolutely enough time <laughs> go get fucked up do dumb shit you an eviction notice <laughs> yeah but you get but if you're still doing this shit in two weeks we're gonna have a fucking conversation and it was to this day it's still one of the greatest things that anybody's ever done because even in my inebriated state, I went home and thought about that. Like, whoa, what, what am I doing right yeah, now? Okay. What, what on <laughs> earth is this doing to benefit me? And why is one human that I love more than just about anybody on this planet, why is he <laughs> like legit threatening me? And I thought about it and it was because I had turned into a complete narcissist. And I just was, everything in the world happened to me and only me. And no one has ever been through this before. And that, like, it's just, it was it's all external. Yeah. All like I crawled up my own butthole for a little bit and I had to, I had to figure it out. And I will still like, anytime I, I've obviously sadly had a number of friends who have gone through a divorce since then. And I try to be an open book because I feel like that's a way of putting it back out there. And I always tell the two stories I always tell are that one of Paul being the friend who shook me out of it. And then of uh, when I finally decided that I was done feeling bad for myself, I had a, a at said dive bar, I had a frozen pizza, and I pulled Hedges? a piece off. Of course, it was a square cut. Is the, not, yeah. Not so, is, so I was pulling a square from like one row in. So it's a non-crust piece. Of course, yeah. But the cheese had congealed a little bit, and as I pulled it, the whole pizza came off, mm. and it landed cheese side down. On the floor of a dive bar. And for two seconds, I thought, maybe it's still good. I could eat this. And that was when my brain was like, hey, remember what Paul said? Uh, We need to not be this person anymore. We're talking about eating floor pizza, cheese side down, at a bar that I don't know if I've ever seen the floors cleaned. We need to figure this out. 
But it's, it, all of that only happens because somebody stepped in and said, I love you more than I'm afraid of what this might do to our friendship. I need you to care about you the way that I care about you. And that was the light coming on. And from that moment, that was where I started working on positive things. Not to say that I didn't fuck up a few times in the interim, but that was when, yeah. that was when building happened. And I, if there's any men out there listening, and I don't know the experience of uh, female v. female friendships, I hope it translate the same, translates the same, but to any men out there listening, like, fucking just tell your friends you love them. Hug them. Like, I promise you it will make your friendships better. And if it doesn't, then maybe that wasn't the right friend. <laughs> okay, here. To infinite serving friends. Yes. I want to ask you about the, the divorce stuff. Like the, um, I've been thinking about it a lot. And our measure of success is like the six-year-olds on a park bench, like holding hands. And mm. I think it's unequivocally just absolutely the worst thing you can do. Yeah. Like, to measure a marriage by that, if it, it's a good marriage or a bad marriage, by how right. long you make it. And I also think, like, and it's taken me a long time to get here for this. I 100% agree with you on that. Um, but it's also, it's, we view like breakups pre-marriage as just a thing that happens, but then a divorce is like abhorrent and awful. And at the end of the day, like the person that I had married and I we're a great couple for a number of years. And as we grew and as we changed, we didn't acknowledge any of those changes. Yeah. And uh, eventually it came to a point where she found happiness somewhere else. And I had created an environment that was so singularly focused on work because that was not scary. And dealing with issues at home were scary that I put on blinders that were sewn so tight to my face that I couldn't see anything. Work is a great drug. Absolutely yeah, it is. Done it and the same thing. And I used it and abused it, you know? And I, that, that to me, being open to admitting that something didn't work is also incredibly freeing. And acknowledging loss and talking about loss with your friends is the only way to get through loss. And opening myself up in that way and realizing what I was accountable for in that relationship that did not work is the only reason that I'm in the marriage that I am now. If I had met my wife and hadn't gone through that loss 11 years ago, I would not have been the partner that I am. And I'm still not perfect, but I'm a much better human being than I was 11 years ago. And I hope that 11 years from now, I will be able to say the same thing because every little thing that you learn, if you apply it to yourself, will make you into a better version of yourself. And if you're in a, a friendship or a relationship where that's the focus, you can only go up. Yeah. You know, like that's somewhere, I'm sure there's like a fucking book and a catchphrase in there. <laughs> but <laughs> until I figure that out, I'm just fumbling my way through it. I just want someone to make a movie scene about the pizza and the dive bar <laughs> floor. Like, it should definitely be christened at cinema. I can, I, I can close my eyes and still, I remember the shoes I was wearing 
<laughs> looking down and having that inner monologue of, can I still eat that? Oh my God, are you actually asking yourself if you can eat floor pizza? <laughs> <laughs> floor pizza anywhere, gross. Floor pizza in an unwashed dive bar floor, even grosser. Like yeah, the, science, the silence of the lamb's cheese on ground, it's way nope. different than a slice. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> it's a little different. It's a little different. Because it's basically sponging up whatever was there. Absolutely. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't miss me with that. <laughs> Topic well, number four. Let's do it. Oh, this is me. <laughs> this is you. That was a good one. So, uh, went places there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the fucking rabbit hole. That's my favorite part about Tonka this beans. show. <laughs> yeah, Tonka beans, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you uh, had to picture like a perfect bite or a perfect sip of something anywhere in the world, anywhere in your history, uh, there are all, the, and they don't have to be like the finest of the fine things, but there are these little perfect bites and perfect sips everywhere where my brain immediately goes blank into this world of bliss and I don't want anything changed. Like, I don't even want to go home and make it because I want to just have it here and experience this whole thing. Yep. Is there anything that pops into your brain as a perfect bite or a perfect sip? I was thinking about this when you're talking about hospitality, but there's a, mm. I had a consulting gig in South Carolina. It was like an hour south of uh, Charleston. And they always put me up in this hotel, middle of nowhere. Um, it was a waffle house, like across this field. And I would always go there after, uh, after the day in the shift. And this one server always remembered me. And I was only there like one, one day every year. And it was just perfect and amazing. And waffle house is absolutely delicious. Yeah. It's like pecan waffle, patty melts, like the whole nine yards is perfect. And then the other thing that comes to mind is uh, the martini at Harry's Bar in Venice. Is like going into that bar and seeing how they do it and how idiosyncratic it is and perfect and timeless. And I think the martini is like this, big. It's just <laughs> like an ounce and a half. It's just a little guy. It in a little glass. And there's an olive in there, and it's perfectly cold, perfectly diluted, perfectly everything. It's perfect. That's awesome. So, that is amazing. It's great, yeah. Highly recommend it. Charles, what about you? I'm going to make a note of that because yeah. I love martinis. Yeah. Uh, it, it's easy for us to recount on this podcast all the wonderful places that we've dined and, you know, how if you have, like, a Thomas Keller coddled egg with the, um, with the uh, oh, God, what's wrong with me? The eggs on it. Pearls and oysters. The pearls and oysters, oh, yes, yeah. yeah, with the with the oyster in it and the so caviar, slimy. so slimy. absolutely perfect, okay. right? So that's the, the little micro chives, yeah. that's, right? That's of course we can recount things like that. Did you go to the synergy in, in the table? <laughs> Here's the funny thing: yeah. I missed out on that, and then I took a trip to New York for my 40th birthday instead, and went to Per Se and just had his food there. <laughs> 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 and I actually said nice that work, to Gavin yeah. on Instagram, or I commented, yeah. and I was like, well, I missed that on this, but I'm going to go to Per Se in New York instead. And I meant for it to be funny. I hope people took it that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to stop typing here and just put my dick on the keyboard. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, Whatever, so, Gavin. <laughs> Gavin, listen to this right now. <laughs> I love you. The, uh, I think that the real sentimental things when we break it down are the things that we can't have on demand. 
And for me, there, there are two things that I thought of when I thought about this topic. One thing is my aunt's grilled lamb at her restaurant mm-hmm. in Lebanon, the Wen Albez. When, that's like the first thing I want when I'm in Lebanon, when I like venture out of the condo after all the, like the entire 24 hours of traveling. And then we go to the condo and it's the, the, the evening spent there and she will have left me food there because she's a fucking saint. If saints exist, she's a saint. But the, th- the first thing I want when I dine out is to go to a restaurant. She's got her fire pit in the back and she knows I'm coming and she's got a bunch of fresh lamb and grills it off for me perfectly. And the lamb there is lambier, which I like. And there's like something to that. I can't have that right now. I haven't been back in almost three years because of what's going on in the world. The other thing would be something that I can never have again. And in our last episode, you kind of pushed toward this a little bit but I was reminded of him today because I didn't yeah. really, I chose, to, I elected not to discuss him last week, but my buddy Mike who passed away, uh, that's my fishing buddy and the lakeshore dinner that he would make where we'd fish in Nevis, Minnesota with bass out of fresh waters, which yes, you can eat Minnesotans or anywhere else. You can eat bass if it comes out of fresh water. It is fucking delicious. But cornflake crusted bass fried in a skillet with red smashed potatoes with dry dill and butter on them the uh, pop and bake buns, the cheap ones, of course, can of Bush's baked beans, and then, of course, a cold beer. Mm. Like, that's uh, Mm. I can close my eyes and picture that meal. Corn on the cob, too. That was the last element. I can close my eyes and picture every element of that meal exactly the way Mike made it. And the way he made it, by no means is going to win a James Beard Award or a Michelin star, but it's for what that meal is, the way he made it is Mike's way, and I've had that meal a hundred times, and it always was indicative of us having a successful successful day of fishing together. So did we have a successful day of fishing? Yes. We go hit the fish in the head with rocks. Sorry, vegans. And then scale them, you know, cut out the organs yeah. and do the whole thing and put them in the freezer and, you know, prepare the guts because we got to get rid of them later, wash them in the bowl, get the skillet going, bread them, fry them, go to the farmer's stand and get the potatoes. And, you know, so it was like a whole thing. And there were times with Mike where, especially like later in life where, you know, physically he was struggling and I didn't always know it, where he'd say, we don't have enough fish for everybody. Let's just throw them back. And I'd be like, no, we, how, many more, how many more bass do we need? Well, there's six of us. We probably need two more bass. And I'm like, sun's high, man. Mm-hmm. Sit down. Let's catch some more bass. Let's get them. And there were a few days where he got exhausted and we were like, fuck it. And I, we would regrettably throw them in the water. But the very last time I was with him at the cabin, this is pre-pandemic, I made him sit in the fucking boat. I was like, Mike, because the two times prior to then we didn't have enough. Mike, let's catch these fish, baby. I need to have this Lakeshore dinner. <laughs> and this isn't some like sign from above. It's just had been a while yeah. and I wanted the motherfucking Lakeshore I wanted some motherfucking fish. And we, and we, we deserve we, this. We yeah. killed it. We slaughtered. We got so many fish. Like his dad was mad at us. He's like, you didn't eat all these fish. And I'm like, I'm about to eat all of them. <laughs> there won't be leftovers, pal. Like, believe me, Dave, there's going to be, that's all going down. We left need in the rearview mirror miles ago. We're just <laughs> yeah. in the, we're in the country of want right now. Right. So that was, and I'm, I'm thankful that I had it. And I will, you know, it's been some time now and I've been back to the cabin like four times because it's still like, that's the cabin that I go to. But I've had a hard time fishing, and I'll have an even harder time recreating the meal. I'm sure. Which I know I can faithfully recreate, and I wouldn't 
I wouldn't season it anymore. I wouldn't throw smoked paprika in there or anything. When I make it, I'm going to make it the way Mike makes it, and I'm sure I'll get to that someday, and then it'll be something that maybe someday I pass on to relatives or friends or something. But What um, a beautiful memory. Part yeah. of me really looks forward to it. Part of me is scared of it, but yeah. um, it's just something that I, I really cherish and that I wish I could have, but I wish it could be Mike that made it for me. Yeah. Of course. I also need a fishing buddy. I'm here. I don't know how to fish, but I can Sherpa things around if you need me to. I'll help. Yeah. I'll, I'll t- if it's bass fishing, yeah. I'll help to teach you. If we're fishing the river, I'm terrible at it, so we can be terrible at it together. Perfect. Sounds great. <laughs> it's also like I love that you acknowledged both the the happy and the sad portions of that because I think that's the only way that you can honestly feel everything, right? Like you can't just think about the good times, which is obviously what they put on every fucking Hallmark card and everything. Like, no. You got you to think about it all together. It makes you equal parts an amount of sad that it had made you happy. Yep. That's why you're sad because yep. you don't have that anymore. And leaning into that, to me, it reminds me how much that person meant. And it, it adds like a gravitas to the entire thing. And it adds the real emotion of it. It's not a character that I created that I can just be happy about. It's the loss of something that I loved very much but also as a hat tip to something that made me very happy. And I think that's a great place to, to be. It's not easy, but it's a really good place to be. Yes. Where was the cabin? Uh, Nevis, Minnesota by Walker. So if you're local, you may or may not have heard of it. You might be one of those people that has an encyclopedic knowledge of every fucking town in this state, which I find very troubling. When someone says to a friend like, oh, yeah, my, my dad's from... Nipple tip point. <laughs> what the f- and then someone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I was there yeah, last yeah. weekend. Like, no, you weren't. Who are you? It's yeah. right oh, on Areola Lake. It's, yeah, it's, fine. A, it's a town of 11. It's a town of 11. It used to be 13, but it's 11 now. You know, Steve and his wife passed away. <laughs> That's, oh, yeah. We don't appreciate like, the, the cabin trip and the lake. Yeah. It's a tour. That here is like so, so good. It's something that I wish people that, because other locales do enjoy that, but it's something that I wish more people enjoyed, including uh, fellow Midwesterners or, or Minnesotans. Mike brought that back into my life. Mike brought my, my Eagle Scout out of me that had been gone forever because I'm a city boy. I was like, you know what? I'm a city boy. And I stopped fishing and I stopped cabining and I stopped camping. And then I became real close personal friends with Mike. And then it was suddenly like, whoop, whoop, whoop. Like all that shit came flying Ooh. back. But then I also needed him to like pull it out of me because I was like, wait, how do I hook the worm? I haven't done this in 15 years. So yeah, honestly, Marco, it's great that you said that about like fishing with me and how I, I remarked that like I could help you to do those things. If you are interested in doing those things, I assure you have a friend that can assist you, you know, like if you're listening to this. You want to fish, you want to camp, you don't know how to set up a camp, you don't know how to build a fire. You have friends that will help you. Admit what you don't know, and there will be someone there who is eager to teach you. I'd love to be a fishing buddy. Not good at fishing, but I'm really good at buddying. So let's figure that out. (laughs) The fishing thing is like what we were talking about earlier about can you jump and can you you shoot. Some people are just good at fishing, and they don't know why, right? Some people learn all the rules and are still terrible at it. So it's just fucking cast the line out there. Crack a beer, light a cigar, see what happens. If you sit out there long enough, you're going to catch something big. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it works. Into it. A couple of friends going up to Bayfield right on Madeline Island. Like that. Oh, fuck it's yeah. It's so beautiful. Somewhere that I really would like to go. It's amazing. So, so good. 
It's amazing. It's like its own little planet, it looks mm-hmm. like. And I just recently learned more about it. I didn't know it was such a cool, almost like little ecosystem that mm-hmm. they have there. It's not that far away. Yeah. yeah. And there's a bunch Fucking of climate hate. activists that are leaving California to move to Duluth. So we have to get there first. Well, in uh, T-minus maybe six, seven months, a very close friend of mine and his wife will have the first of their two Airbnbs set up up there. So uh, maybe by the time winter rolls around, we can do it. At Madeline Island? Yeah, we're gonna t- we can take cool. the podcast on the road. Let's do it. Right. <laughs> I'm so I'm, in. I'm there. <laughs> I call bartending stock in the fridge yes. with cocktails. Absolutely. Fun stuff. <laughs> you can do the fishing and we'll be the buddying. Cool. <laughs> I would love that. Just be like, go to like an A-frame cabin and you could like pick what's stocked in your fridge. And Absolutely. It's, like it, I'm, I've never been, um, I don't, I don't want to call him out by name, uh, but I will say that uh, this friend was in integral in me figuring my own shit out. Uh, post-divorce, I was kind of in this weird holding phase where I was just doing things that paid me lots of money and didn't yep. give me a whole lot of passion. And uh, he was retiring from the service industry and moving into a management job. And I went to his goodbye party and uh, we went outside so I could have a cigarette. And he literally palmed both sides of my head and said, don't wait as long as I did to start trying. And that's probably the most powerful, like I honestly just got choked up even saying it. Uh, That's probably the most powerful thing that anybody's ever said to me. And I flipped a switch in my head and within a few months I had met my now wife and it was because he found a drive inside of me that I had covered up with comfortability and I needed to hear that to get going. And now to see that this is, this is always where he should have been. He is a city boy, but loves, wants to be a country boy. And uh, to see him in his fifties, jump off, finally figuring it out and him and his wife are going to do like, it's just awesome. It's I, I'm so excited and watching uh, hopefully future guest in the podcast, Brian Gerard. Uh, he's done the same thing with the Poplar House in oh, Poplar is amazing. No. Dude, so literally rad. like he was the the bar manager There's at one of the happening around one there, of the no. busiest restaurants in the Twin Cities and like also an incredible DJ. And I was I felt like I got like sucker punched when he posted like, yep, I'm done with Minneapolis. <laughs> I'm building, uh, I'm, or I'm buying a resort with some friends and my wife and we're going to go up there. And what he's done for getting people, it doesn't always have to be a stuffy cabin, cabin nope. that smells like mothballs, you know? Like he created a vacation spot that people around the world want to go to. That makes me so happy. And I, I, I just, I, I'm here for it, man. I love it. There's a spot in the Catskills called DeBruce. It's all ex per se chefs that are like fucked with city. Oh, going up to the Catskills, bed and breakfast. That's where I want to like go. A cool. supper club Tuesday through Friday, and then he does like a poor man's Noma, like 36 tasting menu. Oh, fuck off. Yeah. Oh it's my God. Perfect. So it's like, this is yeah. brilliant. This is That sounds like heaven. This is the solve that we Where needed. did you say it's located? Um, the Catskills? Forget, yeah. Catskills, I forget the town, but it's DeBruce. Lovely. I'll add that to the list. I feel like Very I should good. answer <laughs> my own question really what quick. What's the question? Uh, perfect bite, <laughs> perfect sip. <Yeah. laughs> uh, I, I'll make it really easy because I loved where this discussion went so much more than my own answers. But my perfect sip, uh, if I could go back to the streets of Bogota 
And uh, when I walked up and asked for a fresh pressed orange juice and he asked me which mm. orange because he had nine different oranges that all tasted different. Give me the oranges of your orange. Uh, yeah, I was like, <laughs> I, I was like, dude, know. whatever you think is great. Like, yeah. I'm into it. And he did a blend of three. And okay, sweet, sour, like orange yeah, will, orange juice will never right. taste the same again for the rest of my sure. life until I can go back and have yeah. that. I'm so jealous. Uh, and it was he was like just the most affable, chill dude. Just that's all he did. He got up every day. He hung out from morning through lunch, and then that was it. It was like just a fucking beautiful existence of giving people smiles in a glass <laughs> every oh my day. Oranges. Uh, literally, <laughs> yeah. for him to make me one glass was nine oranges. Oh and a lot of <laughs> most foreign countries take juicing a lot more seriously yep. than we yeah. do, and not juicing like I gotta clean out my pores or whatever it is that we do here. But like when we were when Marty and I were in Puerto Rico last summer, we got like you could buy literal gallons mm -hmm. of real juices, yep. including we got a giant jug of um, papaya juice with the seeds still in it. And we just like, every time we drank a little out of that in the morning, we were just like, oh, what the fuck? How does this exist? Yeah, it's perfect. It's yeah. amazing. Incredible. And then my, my perfect bite is, uh, it's street food that's served in an eight seat uh, walk up quick serve restaurant. But it's uh, Jean Famous in New York. It's their cumin lamb sandwich. It's a half a pita cut open and just stuffed with, cumin jalapenos mm -hmm. and lamb and it is it is perfect i have staggeringly tried to recreate it at home and i'm i'm at like a b maybe b plus mm -hmm. level and it's like enough to satiate me and like keep me okay until the next time i can have it but i've been fortunate enough to have some incredible wild meals if i had a gun to my head and you only have one meal left that's where i'm going a bowl of concubine noodles and uh, that cumin lamb sandwich. It's like $3 or $4, but it's it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. It's just hot enough that the back of your neck sweats, but not hot enough that you can't taste your food. Like, it's everything about it is it's so thoughtful, and it's served on a little paper plate, you know? Like it's I'm bummed I didn't get there on my last trip. Uh, I had every location pinned, but I can only eat so much fucking food. Totally. <laughs> And it's not it's like courage and start over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I will say that I did have one legendary day where I went to Scar's Pizza and then I went to Smashed Burgers as I was walking home, and then I had dinner that night at was that Masa that night? But I think I, was I remember like, that. Right. I can't let a single morsel of any of these meals go to waste if I'm gonna make it. <laughs> Hedonistic, right? right. He, he wrote like hand wrote an apology note to the toilet. Just, I'm really sorry. I know you're just here to do your job, but I have to apologize to you for, for doing my job. For the forgive group. me. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking A. Let's do it. Trotsky's. Cheers. Cheers, fellas. All right. Hold on, well, real quick, Charles, before you mm. ask your question. Um, we have a trio of cocktails in the middle of this yes. table. Yeah. And I feel like uh, I would be remiss if I did not. That's the one I was staring at. I've been wanting to get because up, but not wanting to it get has, up. It has floaties. And schmuckums in there. That's really given me mad mm -hmm. Orbitz vibes mm -hmm. from the mid-90s. <laughs> it's unlabeled, so I have no idea what's in it. We're about mm -hmm. to find out. Maybe. Find out. Kind of. I got All right. 
So topic number... Get the fuck out of here. That's that is five. so good. That's how Ronia Sumac vodka Collins. Oh my god. We're making trying to do an acid replacement, but instead of using citrus, oh. sumac and like mm-hmm. concentrating the acids in it. I, I love like you. Dropping so it down much. to like like three pH, which is pretty good. Nice. This is inc- you give sumac to a Lebanese boy, he's gonna be happy. Sumac's so good. Fairly <laughs> happy. You give sumac to a Norwegian boy, he's gonna be happy what a, too. What a great segue to this yep. question. There we go. Uh Marco, what is your favorite secret ingredient right now? Oh goodness. Mentioned the sweet gallium earlier, Alan Burgo. Yeah. Um, yep. God, there's like I, I don't want to feel too on trend, but like koji is pretty cool. Like fungi yeah, you're trying and to mushrooms. You're doing some stuff back there. So, what are you doing with the koji and the mushrooms? So, um, we bought a sauna kit and converted it over into a koji muro. Traditional style inoculation chamber. That's so um, awesome. So it's humidity, temperature control. There's we like took a thermal camera. You could see different uh, temperature gradients. Uh, koji's been cultivated. In did China, you make Japan. the koji, or did you order Japanese koji? We we ordered from some okay. houses over there. Well, for for our listeners out there, can you just go through like even just what koji is? Yeah, it's uh, so it's a fungi. It's mushroom. It's a spore, and we have. Fungi, bacteria, and yeast, and, and the microorganisms, bacteria, and yeast are in a constant battle and war against each other. Yeast eats sugar, produces alcohol, bacteria eats alcohol, makes acetic acid, and then fungi like um, starch. Um, they take the starch grains and they um, create a mycelium, which is like a little netting growth, and then you have mushrooms mm-hmm. kind of go on top of it. They're very finicky, but mushrooms are like the smartest organism. Totally. And, and the networks that they create. and The biggest living organism on earth is a mushroom. so cool. It's so cool. You look at like the first, um, you know, going from a hunter-gatherer society, um, you know, we weren't really meant to form into groups above 100 people. And there's like the uh, beer versus bread theory where we settled down to cultivate alcohol to shut down the prefrontal cortex and like, build society and civilization. And the first written psychoactive was probably Soma, the home of Gilgamesh, and that's probably hallucinogenics. Probably. Fungi and the koji specifically produces two enzymes, and it's, uh, amylase and protease. So how the Western world uh, molds grain to produce beer, um, Eastern world uses koji to do it. Mm. It's super... It's magic. I didn't know that part. That's amazing. Magic. So you can take that koji, and after the mycelium grows and produces the enzymes, it also produces protease, which eats protein and turns out into glutamic acid or MSG. That's how you make fish sauce and miso. and uh, All the greatest flavors on earth. Deliciousness. Yeah. <laughs> and we will never make Japanese miso or soy sauce. Like they're, There's this... Um, word called monozukuri which is like the maker of things Mm -hmm. and dedicating your life and craft and attention and intention into this thing like they excel at that and we're never going to do that but we can take that fungi and apply it to our place what is in situ yeah like our terroir in our region and why i love the story about the cabin and the fishing like our terroir and our this home 
and this place and the people that are here, like what is the flavors of that? And how do you coax out like a Midwest miso or Midwest soy sauce? Or sure. Even those fish guts and the fish bones, like that's where fish sauce came from. Mm-hmm. Right, and exactly. Eat fish here. Why don't we have a Minnesota fish sauce? Yep. So that's a question mark. And uh, Koji allows us to kind of explore some of those things, but they've been cultivating those spores for centuries. And it's yeast, bacteria, and fungi are kind of like um, like you breed for certain uh, flavors and expressions. Right. Just like um, any, any breeding. And they've yep. been cultivating these strains. Any sort of yeast cultivar you're looking for exactly. specific profiles, yes. And then what happens when you take that and combine it with our wild fungi and wild yeast and wild bacteria, like something new is going to happen. Can you cultivate that and continue to grow it? Yeah. And then in a century, we have this thing that's in a sense of place, and that's very exciting. That's so fucking awesome. Koji would be the, the ingredient. I think it's really rad. That's awesome. I read a uh, technique for doing a version of dry aging a steak but using koji instead yeah. which i have not tried but i've wanted to do for quite some time but that is a fascinating ingredient and like i think a lot of people are just starting to learn about it but it is central to so many things that they enjoy i kind of feel bad picking that because it's like kind of hot right now but it really is absolutely straight magic i imagine for a lot of our listeners they are not familiar nope. or at least they don't know that that's the source of so many things that they enjoy uh, there's this thing called shiokoji, and it's like a marinade. It's 4% salt. Yeah. With those enzymes, it breaks down your protein. So you're able to do, you're able to imitate like a 100-day age plus a cut and less than a week. Sure. Wow. Yeah. Leveraging incredible. Those enzymes. Holy shit. We take the whey from the cheese producer here, Alamar, yeah. and we add koji to it. it whey oh. is the byproduct of the cheese-making process. Yeah. And tastes like butter and popcorn we turn it into parmesan or blue cheese flavor oh in my three God. days oh it just like imbues the fucking God. immediately and the cheesiness i want it so bad it's insane i want it so bad that's so cool because you're using byproducts to create something entirely new it's what else could you ask for it's a magical mushroom and it's so cool and there's so much potential and like we're just scratching the surface of it there's unlimited potential and there's going to be a lot of dumb things that we make, but we're trying. We'll, we'll get there eventually. We'll the, you'll find the brilliant out. things in between all the stupidity. That's the point, isn't it? And we need help. But isn't the stupidity know. fun, too? I love like, stupidity. Yeah. Mischief. Mischief and dumb. I've, I've stumbled my way through stupidity to find a little sh- like shard of genius so many times. But looking back on it, the, the stupidity was like the greatest point. Like that was the, what I loved the most. Well, I think it's a recurring theme here on this podcast is that you have to put yourself out there mm-hmm. to find the greatest quality result. Yes. You don't put yourself out there. If you're not willing to look stupid, then you'll never find that, mm-hmm. that brilliant result. Mm-hmm. You gotta, you gotta hang it all out. That's fucking it. I'm going to answer my own question because it directly correlates to what Marco just said, it's fucking MSG. Yeah. MSG, I'm like obsessed. It's so stupid how difficult it is to find. <laughs> it's also fucking bullshit that uh, we still have this negative stigma around it that is wildly racist. But I love MSG. 
I use it for a lot of things, Asian and otherwise. I just dump it on everything. Uh, not everything, but I use it a lot. I've been using it plenty, and there are a lot of times where I catch myself not using it where I'm like, I should have used some motherfucking mm -hmm. MSG because it has that je ne sais quoi, that savory quality that just, it's it's inexplicable, and it's beautiful and fantastic. Uh, and I also, I also um, um, so I read a thing recently about, um, it was Bon Appetit or Punch Drink, I don't remember, but some bartender that is using MSG in his dirty mix, and I'm like, I'm gonna talk to Marco. We gotta, we gotta use MSG sense. in a motherfucking dirty mix. I want him to help me workshop it. It shouldn't be salt and pepper. It should be salt and MSG. Correct. Those yeah. are the shakers that should exist. Yeah. They both accentuate flavor. They don't add flavor. Pepper adds flavor. Pepper is right. a spice, and you shouldn't add that in your marinades because it is a it overwhelms what's actually present. But MSG just brings it, brings things out for sure. Brings it to the forefront. Turns the volume up. And that, like, the Chinese restaurant syndrome and how that all came about is absolutely, it's crazy how f far that got without being checked. And, like, what else is like that? Troubling. If anyone listening right now is, is wondering about what we're talking about, just literally Google uh, MSG in Chinese restaurants. And what you'll find is that we tried in every possible way to disenfranchise Chinese immigrants. And one of the few ways that they could get by was with restaurants. And then basically a way of trying to get people to stop going to Chinese restaurants was by creating a fear around an ingredient that was then associated with all Chinese food, period, and then pushed in that direction. It's The roots, the roots of it are entirely and very, very Americanly racist. <laughs> That's so bad. It's so bad. And, like, the, the sad part is, like, my brother has a legitimate allergy to MSG. Like, it gives him massive migraines. Yep. And that's an honest thing. Like, but it's not Chinese food that he has to worry about. It's, like, fucking Doritos and shit like that, you know? Knott's pretzels. That's why they're <laughs> exactly, so good. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. yeah. And that's what, that's what he's, like, missing out on, you yeah. know? But we allowed the world to stereotype one specific cuisine as the source of MSG and nobody else uses it. But the fact is that most like tasty American snack foods are coated in it. Oh yeah, it's the best. And it's, I love it. It's so fucking good. In drinks, like that savory umami, like that's the obvious go-to. Yeah. Like Micheladas, dirty Seems martinis. Like natural, right? Doesn't that, doesn't that seem like a natural conclusion? There's a ice cream maker here that does vanilla bean and MSG. Ooh, uh, Bebezito. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it so is. fucking good. Perfect. So it's smart. So good. Cream, dairy, egg, like fat soluble stuff, mm. like MSG. Boom. Hit it. Like we'll use like saline solution, salt tincture in cocktails all the time and parts per million, you never you can't taste it. But it makes the things on the front palate pop. You can do the same thing with MSG where it doesn't have to be overt in your face. There's MSG, but just sneak it in, dilute it down to parts per million where it just barely perceptible and you can do that in anything except if they're allergic and so then you have to disclaim <laughs> then it, it sucks, yeah. <laughs> then it sucks. Uh, so I, it sucks for me because my first answer was fish sauce but you for sure hit fish oh. sauce and then my second I think we're kind of just covering <laughs> the same base in a <laughs> yeah. multitude of ways so my second, it's pretty, yeah. well, it's my second answer too. was going to be MSG and then you hit that Ooh. so I'm going to throw out I'm going to throw out vinegar uh, during the last two years, I had a lot more time at home 
because first I wasn't allowed to go anywhere. And then I was through that, I was reminded how much I enjoy being in my own kitchen and I enjoy running through stupidity in the hopes of finding greatness and the greatness for my cocktail world and for some of my like sauces in the food world has been the family of vinegar. Um, I love having that acid in stuff. I think it is an absolutely integral part and something that we miss a lot in like mainstream American cuisine. It's usually like salty and fatty and creamy or it's obscenely sweet. There's rarely that sharp tang that you can get from that. And whether it's making a shrub of whatever fruit is left over from when my wife and I went to the grocery store or it's trying to add a little bit of uh, uh, sharpness into a really, really rich and spicy barbecue sauce that I make. There's, there are, there's not a single cuisine or, or cocktail beverage, anything. There's not a single genre that I can think of that isn't made better by fucking around with something in the, the vinegar family. Whether, you know, like all the way from like the most aged balsamic all the way to just raw white vinegar that is such a secret hero in so many things that I make that I feel like it should get a shout out. Also, white vinegar and baking soda clean everything. <laughs> you, can, you can do all the fucking bleach and ammonia you want in your house. Nothing will get anything cleaner than baking soda and fucking white vinegar. Multi-purpose. It's wonderful. It'll clean your drain out too if yep. you're as hairy as I am. There you go. Our friend does an <laughs> infinity bottle super gangster red wines that he pops mm. open for dinner parties. We'll save the last couple ounces of every bottle of red wine. We'll add it to this infinity bottle of mother of vinegar. We'll like write the date and the time. And it's the most beautiful thing. And then he has this red wine vinegar that he's made that he's able to make vinaigrettes and share all those moments with his guests. It's super cool. Such uh, a slick move. I mean, Shout out to Eric Eastman, former guest on the podcast, talked about, episode, uh, yeah. he, he does that, and I've started doing it too. It's, it's genius. Uh, I will oh, also Eastman. say, if anybody doesn't know what an infinity bottle is, uh, we've talked about it a couple times on the show, but it is one of my favorite things on earth. It, it's any, anything that you like beverage-wise, when you get to the, the, the last end of it, where Minnesotans would typically leave that and let it sit for another year because they don't want to be the one to finish the bottle, mm-hmm. pour that into a, like a decanter or any sort of vessel, and then you just keep adding to it, and you never finish it. So for mine, it never goes below a quarter. Once it's at a quarter, I have to wait Smart. until it gets refilled so that there is always a presence of all the spirits that have been poured in there. Next time, just tell them to, they haven't listened to enough episodes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Look, go get, back to the catalog. Go back. You, know you got to find that bottles. shit. Yeah. got to find it. We've brought it up four times in yep. 47 episodes, so there you go. have fun. I got my, my current, so we good. just, we added to it last night. My my Infinity bottle is currently at 41 different whiskeys, and Slutty. it's fucking fantastic. It's the best, right now, it is the best whiskey that I have had, and it's only going to get better. I, I love it. That's it, dope. I've, I mean, I I'm can not. Do- an, I'm not a fan of the Infinity Bottle. Yeah, as a concept, that's fine. But that doesn't mean you can't arrive at something that's like, oh shit, this is really good. It's just not my thing. I'm also I'm building it to my own personal palate. So like all of the whiskeys that I'm yeah, putting so, in. So it. you're being intentional about Absolutely, the I amounts am. you put in there and stuff. Yep. That's cool. Okay. So I have I have designed 
a bougie ass whiskey mm. that works exactly for what I want it for, which is for me to That's consume fun. it. I can dig it. And I'm I'm in love with it. And now it's back up to like eighty percent. So I can give myself a generous pour. I got some time. That's right. Well, <laughs> you, you might like out. it too much. You might need to make yourself like it a little Mm-mm. less. No, I just I just have all. to remind myself, hey, <laughs> let's go easy on this one. Either that or if it's perfect right now, vial yourself up a little bit and then have that for later. That's already a thing. And then keep, there you go. Yeah. Then keep building it. But then you I have a, I have a, I have a four yeah. ounce bottle that yeah. is poured out separate and it's that's your control. You that's know? my control. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Legit. <laughs> that's good. It's not, that's it good. might not be logical, but it's pretty fucking wonderful. I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, Charles, would you pass me this, uh, this cocktail back? This is spectacular. Would I? Pink one. Pink drink. The pink one. Well, gents, cheers. Another little, cheers. little bumpy bump. Mm-hmm. Oh, we arrived at six. Six. We have arrived at six. Six. How many are there? Six. six. Oh, that's the last one. Home stretch. <laughs> I don't want it to end. Oh. Uh-huh. We can stretch it. We can make six. We can, keep we going. can make six last. <laughs> oh shit! It's me. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Where, hey, hit, hit the cricket sample. Quick, quick. Oh, wait, which quick. one is it? Hold on. Do we have a cricket sample? We do. Is that it? It's funnier if it's not. It's definitely not. What was it? What was it? He's only with the headset on. It's the genie sprinkles. Okay, that's good enough. That's good enough. Let's run with the genie sprinkles. Oh my god, that couldn't have been a that could not have been a better. (laughs) It's even better because okay, we recently made a determination. We just got some new equipment. We recently made a determination that we should all have headsets. Correct. Partly because this new equipment, we're going to sample up a little bit. It's not going to be like uh, what's his name in the douche on. Skid Mark and the Douche. Skid Mark and the Douche. C105. But for instance, I, I texted Quam after uh, hearing a portion of last <laughs> week's episode and told him that we need to sample DJ Mad Mark again saying, Illuminati. <laughs> he was like, wait, what was the context? I'm like, we were talking about DJ yeah. sounds, but we need to isolate that because it was we uh, lost our shit when he said that. And I just and every I time ruined I think it about it, I crack real. up. It's like That's Illuminati. So Illuminati. We so, also we gave ourselves a catchphrase. <laughs> yeah, so we need we need to all have headphones. Otherwise, Quams are there laughing at us as he plays samples. No one else knows what's going on. Oh, what was that? I just did the laugh sample. Did you, you found it? Okay. No, that's the that's the the, the canned <laughs> crowd laughter. Hell oh yeah. my god, the genie sprinkle so, is so great too. I, I, I that one's staying. That's the tough part. Like basically, there's <laughs> one button that I want to pull. All the rest of these that are stock on there are mm. so they're so like bad sitcom funny that I want to keep them all. If we're serious about using sound samples on occasion, we can also line in a laptop. Oh, totally. Claim off. Yeah, anyway. we could create a soundboard, no problem. That's the, part just, of the, that's the part of the sausage making that literally no one who's listening right now wants to fucking That gives a about. fuck about. I just love that, that we, have, we have hot cues now, and there's nothing more fun to me than dropping a hot cue. There's also nothing funnier to me than when it's the wrong cue. Oh like, yeah, especially like guessing. And it was the <laughs> he says genie sprinkles. I don't even fucking know what that means. So I'm gonna hear it. Yep. When this podcast I, yeah, releases, I, I, literally until right now, I didn't even <laughs> think about that. I didn't explain why I called it that. To me, it's like what Robin Williams in as Aladdin would like. Oh. 
like sprinkle some little glitter across. That's the sound that they would do. It's really like somebody running like their hand across uh, chimes. Secret okay. weapon. But that's genie sprinkles to me. And I just realized that, oh my God, that's not from anyone else on earth. That's just my brain throwing, oh no, that's a logical name for this. This is like a weird feature of the podcast that is super <laughs> temporary as you describing the sample. And just telling me, you what I'd you're call the it. Only one who can hear it. Which is funny because I texted you about a feature that I came up with and you didn't even respond to me. So I imagine you thought it was a terrible idea. No. <laughs> Secret sauce, Quam. Secret sauce is a whole other discussion. I had so many questions and I started typing <laughs> it. And I was like, I'll just wait until we can talk about okay, it. Okay, we won't talk about it anymore. So yeah. we'll just leave that kernel in your brains. There you go. The secret sauce may or may not be coming. Secret sauce is coming. The secret sauce. Oh, wait, wait, that's a weird one. Uh, Let's snip that out. Hit the genie sprinkles. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what just happened. Anyways. <laughs> Distract the people from our awkward phrasing. Hit the genie sprinkles. <laughs> okay, now we got to right, keep the genie it. sprinkles because anytime we do something awkward, genie sprinkles. you got to hit the genie Trademark. All right. No. Uh, all right. God fucking damn it. Okay. All right. Let's, let's hit let's the genie sprinkles. We'll reel it in. Okay. <laughs> Marco. <laughs> just so everyone knows, we didn't just go ballistic on our own aside. Marco departed for a few minutes and we oh. bought time by being total dickheads for like five minutes. <laughs> it was perfect. Oh. I imagine in my head. So, Marco, topic number five. Six. Number six. Uh. Genie sprinkles. Uh. Over my adult life, every time I look at where I was five years ago, I'm so proud of what I've accomplished since then. So, I want to ask you, how proud are you of how far you've come in the last five or so years? Five year swing. Like I always do, like the blow up the life, and, like do something completely different in five years. Like the, um, back when we first met with the social team and Joe and Sam, and that was like the first four-way in the Bitter Cube, Nick yep. and Ira. Mm -hmm. That was five years. And then, um, you know, Danny, the restaurants, Martina, Clita, five years. And now we're on the backside of that third cycle. It's perfect. It's everything that it should have been. Um, yeah, I, I, I do the, the, the five-year swing as the aspiration, attempt, path. Um, and it wasn't as an intentional as you would see looking backwards or in hindsight, but five years has been amazing. Life is really good. Um, I found love and a partner, and uh, I have different priorities. Uh, I've stopped doing uh, habits and accountability that to not be able to do and my priorities are different things have changed and I, I just turned 30 a couple of years ago and uh, not a couple of years ago um a couple of months ago <laughs> i was um, gonna say oh. i'm surprised yeah. i'm surprised to even hear you're 30 I because when i interviewed you I was a like, couple years ago He's yeah. how old <laughs> sorry what um yeah and i don't know like the last five years last decade was everything i should have been and was, and um, I'm super grateful for this opportunity, and I'm very excited for the next five years. It feels cataclysmic and big. There's a, you know, a change from those the last 15 years till now. There's like a difference, and last 15 years, five years segments. You know, I had mentors and people that. I learned from and grew from and 
good or bad. It was like sharpening the knives and the tools and, um, you know, learning and growing and trying to articulate who I am and try things on. And some things didn't work. And in this moment in time, like there's no more external. There's no one to, that is in that position right now. It's just us and it's just in our space. And it's really fucking exciting. It's also really terrifying because there's nothing. I think your point on um, on maybe poor managers or working for the wrong people, I think that a lot of people miss out on you can learn just as much from the wrong situation as you can from the right situation, and that, yeah. that translates to friendships, that translates to relationships, um, and definitely it translates to, to, to bosses. But um, <coughs> was the five-year thing, like, intentional, or was that something that's just... I've just been my life. Just how it works out. 15, 20, yeah, 20, 25, 25 till now. It's like a, there's something that I do where it's like invest, dedicate, obsess, martyrdom, like go 100% into it. Mm-hmm. And then that lasts five years and then there's a, like I, I resign it or like this is done. That was that chapter in my life and now it's so funny like to hear you say that because it's a three-year cycle for me mm-hmm. and uh when when my wife and i had been together for three years i proposed and that was honestly like it freaked me out when i realized that that had been a pattern and it's made me really happy to know that 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 cycle has not been a part of our relationship since then like things have just gone well, <laughs> but that was for forever. That was like all of the years that I had like DJ gigs at, at clubs, I would leave at the three year mark. And then sometimes I would come back, yeah. but I, it was always a blow it up and walk away. You proposed right after that three year like segment. She's gonna get mad at me, but I, I gave my partner a ring right after my <laughs> birthday. So. <laughs> it's like, I'm it's engaged. It's <laughs> which is beautiful. It's a thing, right? It's a thing. That, that piece, and it's not. It's not purposeful or intentional. No, no, no. But something in my brain was like, I don't want this to go away. Normally, I yeah. walk away at this yeah. point. I would like to double down, and figure this out. That's so good. That was where it went. So, but yeah, it's I. I that's awesome. Can you, looking at those five-year chunks, going back to 15, yep. is there one that you could see was was more, a bigger leap in that five years, or has it been just consistent growth? I don't think one's bigger. They're just all different. Like different things, different pieces. Um, like measuring success or being proud of something measure of success yeah like i've never been more depressed than after b and i wanted a bunch of shit like um the martina cleta on that back end of it yeah it's like james beard nod um esquire beverage director charlie's beverage director forbes 30 under 30 and feels like gross listing that out right now but like right after that like hardcore depression uh 
like those accolades are a measure of success, like that doesn't mean anything. Those things are not real. Did it feel like unnecessary pressure, unnecessary attention? Mm, uh, not pressure, not attention. Mm-hmm. It was worth it, but like the isolation is not just me. It's like this entire team of really dope, rad people. But you think you need those things for somebody else. Okay, yep. For validation, value. You know, everyone wants that. And you grind and you sharpen your teeth and you do your things to get to that point. We prescribed value and importance onto those pieces that I don't think have inherent worth, really. And there's nothing wrong with it, but I'm sure you guys are sick of talking about COVID. And you know, apocalypse and pandemic, but like that was a like a really important moment where we were able to step back and like checks and balances and what we actually want to do and what was actually important and got us to this place right now and the next ten years and the next five year cycle and what that's going to be is not for anyone else but us right. and me and this place and these relationships and everything we talked about. Right, was like right there. I didn't know that five years ago. Like, what That's, this was for? Amazing. Yeah, I'm glad I asked this question. And part of the reason that I presented this was, you know, I was thinking of when I met you and what you were doing then and what you're doing now, and also knowing how much you have yet to accomplish. Because I know a lot of the things that you've said that you would like to accomplish that you have yet to accomplish. Mm-hmm. So this is almost a timestamp that we could recount upon to say like, oh, remember five years ago and I was so proud of all the things I had accomplished, but I still hadn't done the things that I'm doing today. That's actually kind of, that's important. Sometimes you write those notes for yourself or you make a mental note of those things. For sure. And also, you know, talking about like trials and tribulations, for me, I have the mentality that failure is a ladder. It's not a pit. When you fail, it's just now you, you have a window open to an even greater opportunity Failure can manifest itself in a lot of ways. It doesn't mean that you did something wrong, but it just means that it could be like a professional relationship just didn't work out for you. For me, I don't ever dread something not working out on a professional basis because I know that it's just going to lead to a better opportunity because that's the way my career has gone. In terms of what you were saying with with awards and stuff, my own personal purview on that is that I'm not going to get any better at what I do because someone handed me an accolade. And I also don't make any more money if someone praises me or denigrates my craft. Yep. So it's, it, and of course, like, you know, it, it, I'm not saying for, for anybody else that that's a good or a bad thing, but a lot of people put energies into entering, like, uh, competitions for praise that I, I'd rather put my energies, for what I do for a living anyways, I'd rather put my energies elsewhere and get better at what I do and make more money for my business. That's just the way that I operate. So... It's just different strokes for different folks when it when it comes to that. Um, Quam, would would you say <coughs> for your own like because you've changed? I think five years is actually a pretty good window into where you it's were in massive. your prior. You know, like reaching sort of like the the peak of what you had previously been doing, and it was sort of near the transition of where absolutely you went into the like heavily into the craft beer world mm-hmm. and that's where you reside now it's it's been a really weird journey for me because uh imposter syndrome is something that runs through my blood all the time there's 
I, I can confidently say that I'm really good at what I do most of the time. But at that exact same time that I'm saying that, much like MSG can bring out sweet and salty together, I can also, at the same exact time as I'm saying, I'm really good at this, I can say, I don't deserve to be here and I don't know why I'm here. And that that is toxicity that is woven into my DNA that I'm still trying to to rip the stitches on. But you understand that doubting yourself is important to succeeding. It is. Right? It, it, I, I like the, the side of doubt that, that manifests itself as I still have more to learn mm. is a great motivator for me. Yep. The side of doubt that's I shouldn't be here and Everything I sucks. can't believe <laughs> that I lied enough to get these people to hire me is a toxic side of that. And they exist in my heart mm. equally. And I still have not figured out a way to extrapolate one from the other. Uh, but yeah, five years ago, uh, I was being cheered on by a lot of people in the bar industry and being booed by a lot of people in the beer industry for essentially getting a job that most people have to work years to get. Uh, I will be 100% honest that I did not, I, I have not followed a, a traditional career path to get into craft beer. That said, I was sought out for a reason and I got hired. And what I have tried to do the best that I can is tell an honest story about grain to glass, which is something that I 100% believe in. I like the fact that I know where everything comes from for the breweries that I've worked for. And I love telling the story of who brews the beer and why I think it's delicious. I think that that is something that I'm very proud of. I also think that through <clears throat> the loss of my brother and through uh, COVID and having tough conversations with my wife and also learning how to exist on an eight to five-ish schedule for the first time in my adult life, I've grown a lot as a human because a lot of the things, as I referred to earlier when, when we were chatting, uh, I have, I have an innate need sometimes that when I'm considered an outsider to exacerbate that. And like, if you think that, oh, well, you live a weird life, okay, then I'll weir live the weirdest life. That's brought me immense joy and great memories. But it's also really fun to get to exist in a world where like, I can see my nephews and niece. I can drive up on a Thursday night and watch a uh, football game with 12 year olds on the field where everyone just sort of follows the football around. Like I've, I've realized that I will never ever not love all of the time that I spent in the service industry, but I also missed out on a lot of things in life that I had convinced myself I didn't need to be a part of. And now I've realized that I was doing that out of self-preservation and there are some bullshit things that I loved not having to go to. But at the end of the day, I had to create a narrative for myself so that I didn't feel bad about missing out on a lot of the things that I missed out on by working every single Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, and sometimes Sundays, sometimes Mondays. And I had a literally the biggest panic that I had when I left the bar industry and got into craft beer was that I honestly didn't know if I could be a quote-unquote daywalker. I literally didn't know if I could exist in a life like that. And it turns out it was two weeks, and I could wake up at 
eight in the morning without an alarm. You know, like that was a really beautiful thing for me to know about myself was that we're all malleable. Like if you want to do something, we can make those changes. And I honestly didn't know if I could. So the thing that I've learned in the last five years, if I had to distill it down, was that we're capable of anything if we think that it's going to be good for us. And knowing that making that change meant I could go from seeing my wife on Saturday or Sunday afternoons and Monday nights to seeing her seven nights a week was the greatest thing that I ever could have given myself. And I love the beer industry. I love all of the friends and relationships that I've had from there. But the thing that the thing that's the most lasting for me in the last five years is that I gave myself time back with the person that I love the most on earth. And there will never be a gift that I could give myself that will ever top that. And that's a pretty cool place to be. Like it's a, to realize that that wasn't even necessarily the impetus. It, it was one of the reasons why I wanted to get out of the bar industry but I was able to give myself the gift of like a whole relationship. Change your measure of success. Correct. Yeah. Fuck money. Marco, Fuck did anything. you experience like, something similar when you transitioned away from like being present a lot in? I definitely hear a lot of myself and what yeah, you're sharing. I was curious 100%. If, there were, yeah. if that's correlative in any way for you. And I do want to, like we weren't doing all the things we were doing for the sake recognition or outside by any means yeah um, it felt true it felt right everything that we were pushing forward was something that felt felt and authentic and intentional um, but how it was responded to and how it was acknowledged and what happened because of those things like I would have much rather not have those things have happened than like sacrifice those moments and the relationship you know there's like beautiful parts before all those things and um, this exterior um, it was pretty good regardless of any other external and like in a vacuum like it was beautiful you know? changing your measure of success or what is important Waiting for one day off a week, like holy shit! Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Anything less than seventy hours a week felt like I was being lazy. Yeah, like I was cheating somehow. Yeah. Um, and also the work has changed. It's why am I doing this and for what purpose? And hospitality, nobility in that service. Like, hundred percent believe. I think it's true, and I miss it. I love it, but it is a muscle, and it takes time and um, energy and attention and interests have changed and we're now focusing on new things new pastures and in five years i want like when i was 25 like i would probably say all the things that happened within the last five years is what should have happened right got you where you were going so that's in five years what do i hope have what do i hope to happen is your business, your entrepreneurial, like jumping off a cliff, like there's a certain, um, like it takes a lot of gumption and power and terrifying and self-love, self-trust, um, communication and clarity. It's what I'm about to do. And 
right here, and I see other individuals that have done that. And in five years, if we have built a organization and a business that is vertically integrated, um, perpetuating individuals, and we turn team members into coaches that have team members and moving on to uh, making all the mistakes that we made in leadership. Like that is really exciting to me. And following our passions and like I want love and mischief and interdependence and trust to be a, a daily a daily moment and act. That that would be a measure of success. That's a beautiful foundation to to live a life. Sounds pretty fucking good to me. The Going back to the accolades thing, I, I've honestly never thought about this until you you mentioned that. And these these don't rank in the grand scheme of things as to what you were just talking about because that fucking year was, like, it was wild watching all of that shit happen with, like, all the awards and the Forbes thing and all that. But I remember, uh, I think it was, it was either 2012 or 2013, but it was... As far as like my DJ career, that was the the best year that I had ever had. Uh, we we had a massively successful nightclub. Uh, we had uh, I, I DJed uh, Red Bull Crashed Ice, which hundred thousand people came to, and uh, I got named like the Twin Cities DJ of the Year. Uh, and all I could think about when I was going home that night was that. I knew that my wife hated that I smoked cigarettes and I was going outside to smoke cigarettes and I had brought, in the days when hand sanitizer was not easy to find, I had a bottle of hand sanitizer that I would like rub on my hands and rub on my face and then I would go to the bathroom and I would wash my hands and wash my face and then like I would get home and I would brush my teeth and I would do all that shit again. And I, I just remember, like, looking in the mirror and feeling like, you're a fucking fraud. You know, and, like, I, I don't, I, I love the fact that I, I got uh, recognition for, like, some, we threw some wild-ass parties. Like, the fact that thousands of people danced to, for hours, to nights that I DJ. The fact that I've officiated four weddings for couples who met at a nightclub that I was DJing at. I love that aspect of it. But at the end of the day, I had created a fake visage of who I thought I was because I thought that was like a personality that I wanted to inhabit. And the thing that I hated about it was that me, the real person, was doing something as simple as smoking a cigarette, but doing something that then I thought I had to hide because I thought smoking was like a part of the whole thing and then I, I got addicted to it. And I couldn't let it go. Like, I didn't smoke cigarettes in high school. I was one of those rare people who got into smoking when he was an adult. <laughs> and then, like, went down that. And at the end of the day, all I could think of was I would rather give all of this shit away and, like, come home honestly and tell my wife I'm trying to quit and I'm going to work on it. But I let that run because that was all a part of the whole thing. I DJ and then I go outside and have a drink and listen to people tell me like how fucking great it was I fed into that that system and that was part of the reason it took me so goddamn long to quit 
that ambition, aspiration, like those goals, like that inherently, is that a bad thing or a good thing? Like the difference between narcissism and ego, like that split. That's something that I don't think I can answer and I think it's something that I'll wrestle with forever because I desperately want to continue to be smarter, be funnier, be better in everything. And I think that I'm good at a lot of things. The only way that I've found to motivate myself is by saying, you're not good enough, you need to do better. The only change has been in my 20s and early 30s, it was all about only me. And now the question is, how do I better be a better me? But me includes my wife. Me includes my relationship with my friends. How do I be a better me with everything else attached to it? Where it used to be, how do I make more money as me? How do I get more popular just as me? And if somebody else doesn't like it, then they can fuck right off. And that's been, it, it's become a, it's, it's the communal we. It's not, a, it's not me anymore, it's we. How do we get better? And I have to make myself better in order to be a better friend, which then will hopefully help my friends be better. I have to be a better husband just to be better for my partner, and then maybe that inspires her to keep working on things, and then we just keep getting better as humans. Holding those contradictions, and like that interdependence and, and initiating doing those weddings where people met in those moments of love in that space and time, but also having the negatives or the things that you're not so happy with. And it's not good or bad. It's not right or wrong. One's not better or worse. And like that vision was right for then and now. And uh, to think what if, or what if I made this choice or what if I had done that and to live in, purgatory of where would I have been yeah well and years, like that's also been something that this is more a, a 10 years ago change for me but it's letting go of how could I have changed the past and been different and instead I can control where we go that has to be the focus I'm I'm saying that for everyone listening knowing that two, three nights a week, I will still stay up thinking about some cringe shit that I said when I was 18. Like, that still sits with you, but I can't change that. And while I can't stop my brain from thinking about that, I can focus on trying to be better going forward. And that's the best that I can do. But, like, you know, Charles, obviously, like, we've talked about this on the show and off the show, just as homies. Like, we're... Where do you stand on that? Well, I was going to approach this from a little bit of a different angle and just approach it as a, a, a man growing as a human being and having personal confidence in my successes because I've been doing well for myself for quite some time. My business is 14 years old. Uh, I Sure, I can look back at what I was doing five years ago, but it's a lot like what I'm doing now interchangeable parts in some ways but I look at and this is interesting because when I thought at this topic I didn't realize that this would happen to me but sometimes this serendipity occurs with the conversations that occur on this program 
but I saw a memory pop up on um, on Facebook where uh, I was about to depart with Marnie to wine country, and I was essentially just like narrating how um, ill-equipped I felt to be in that environment as the person that I was. Like I felt I, I would be out of place, that my suit didn't fit right, that they turned me away at the door of the French Laundry. So that mentality five years ago, I've I've shed that skin and I'm really, that's something that I can say, pride is a sin, but something that I can be proud about is the fact that I can go to New York City and eat at all these Michelin star restaurants by myself and fold my hands on the table and look around the room and not doubt myself for a second. Five years ago, I could have never gone to any of those restaurants by myself. I never, I wouldn't, I, I would have felt like an imposter because I already felt like enough of an imposter as a successful 35 year old creative director and business owner, something made me feel like you're, you're pretending or even like your peers in industry or people in a restaurant like this are like looking at you and judging you that you saved up all of your shillings and you're dropping it here today something about that and it's the kind of thing that i'd like to think especially now that i i wouldn't worry myself about like an aspect of my life that i shouldn't care about and today i can say faithfully that like i don't think about that and i don't care about that and i i don't care if people judge me in in that way and also on the other side of the coin i don't think that they do like I, it's like uh like that the that phantom of self-worry where you think like do i belong am i good enough do i Am I, is my watch cool? Like, am I, you know what I mean? Which ironically, now I will um, self-treat more when it comes to what I wear and things of that nature. But the irony is that I don't give a shit if anybody thinks it's to par with their own taste. It kind of, like, the dynamic yeah. changed completely. Makes you happy. Back then, I thought I was just a, I thought I was a scumbag hanging out in a rich man's world. And so part of that I was okay with part, part of it. I felt like an imposter, but I'm, I, I'm happy to be where I'm at now that I'm super comfortable in my own skin. Part of it is, you know, I'm not going to get super deep into it, but you know, being a person of color and being successful Absolutely. and feeling like you belong and that, you know, I had my own American success story. It's just, it might look different to some other people. But having that like level of confidence and comfort with myself, regardless of outside forces, uh, that's of critical importance to me. And I'm so happy to be uh, residing in a place where I can I can be like f like actually proud of myself and feel like I belong. That, I mean, that's beautiful. That's like that's what as friends, that's what we wish for each other. Yeah, like that's good it. friends do. Yeah, good friends do. Yeah, which is that's not like a skeptical thing, but sometimes people want you to do as well as them, but mm -hmm. not better. I'm not saying I know people like that. I'm just saying like I hate that dynamic. Mm -hmm. I love the dynamic of gas your friends up. Like I want my friends to kill. I want my friends to do better than I do, and then I want to try to do as well as they're doing, and then we can just keep like pushing each other to succeed. That's I think that's critical, and I hope people feel that way independently without us saying it to them. But man, want your friends to be big. 
want them to be captains of industry <clears throat> or to have like great successes in their personal lives. Like no matter what it is, gas your friends up, you know, like be happy for them legitimately. It's important. Everything I heard, like you starting your business 14 years ago and like doing that thing, like that's like, I'm jealous. Like you, it's so inspiring. You're doing it right now. It's fucking terrifying. Yeah. Like I've been like just stepping into it and I have no idea how this thing is going to do. Can I tell you that I find the f- I find the fear encouraging because it means that you're trying hard. It's it's also a drug. There's, yeah. a, there's <laughs> a lot of there's a lot of quotes I live by. A lot of quotes I live by. We talk about it a lot on the podcast. But uh, Pierre Cornier uh, has a famous quote, and it's one of my favorite quotes. I for a long time wanted to have it tattooed on my chest. Never happened. Maybe I'll get it tattooed somewhere someday. But it's. Only if it's a papyrus font. I'm not going to say it. Oh, I almost brought up papyrus like 20 minutes ago because we were talking about Poplar House. I know. And they finally stopped using it. I was itching to say like, I can finally go there. I love everything about it except that fucking font. I won't say it in French. Ryan Gosling on the show. One of the greatest sketches of all time. Incredible. I won't recite it in French because I don't speak French and I'm going to sound dumb, but I know it in French. But the translation is a victory without peril is a triumph without glory. And it's something that I live by. And it's the, the whole ethos behind almost everything that I do in my life is that if there is no stake in the game, you stand to gain very little. Recurring theme of this episode, right? So if you're scared, yeah. it means you're doing what's necessary to have great success. If you're not scared, you can... That's, a, that's called... I call that a 401k. Sorry. No offense to anyone. Else. It's okay if you have a 401k. I don't have a 401k. But if you have a 401k, it's you're, 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 you're using a proven method to vest over years and that's a great thing it's a fantastic thing but if you're going to take massive risk and whatever money you would have put into something like a program of that type Mm -hmm. even though you can do that as well if you take those types if you're like i'm betting on myself i'm going to take i'm going to cash out for instance someone says i'm going to cash out my 401k i'm going to start a business it's fucking scary you look over the ledge you're teeter-tottering you're having vertigo you should be scared because if you're taking a big risk you stand to gain so much more if you succeed, that doesn't mean everyone should take incalculable risks or even giant calculable risks. It just means that I I often see it, especially if it's someone I know can fucking kill it. I don't, Mark, Mark, you can do whatever you want. If you say you're doing something, I believe in it already. Yeah, so I, seeing actually, like, like a little bit of fear, I think is a good thing. Marco, I, I just want to echo. I appreciate you saying that, honestly. Like I romanticized it, like that idea and that mm-hmm. purpose and you know, the last 15 years, that cycle, like helping other operator, owner, operator, entrepreneurs achieve their dream and be learning, growing, going through the ranks. Mm-hmm. What it would be if, if there wasn't that, and it was just ours and our thing and what that would look like. And, um, it's terrifying. It's so much. It's a lot. Like that safety net, uh, um, knowing that you'll, like, I know we'll be fine. It'll, it'll all be fine. It'll all work out how it should be. But God, it's a lot. It's insane, and I, I'm not used to um, that courage and gumption to jump off that ledge without that safety net. Like that's, I'm jealous. You're gonna every I'm time you walk across the tightrope, you're gonna be every pass is gonna be more comfortable than yeah. the last one. 
now that that net's not down but there. Can I also just add to this in, I know that you don't see it this way and it's honestly, it's, it's an incredibly endearing thing about you, but this whole time we've been showing up for your brand. It's not like the idea of financial success is a, it's a wildly different argument than what we're talking about right now. As far like I'm, I'm honestly, I will side with Charles in the fact that if you feel fear, that means that you're actually putting your heart into it. Um, my entire season as the in arena announcer for the Timberwolves, every single game, I tried to come up with a way that I could somehow call in sick and not lose that job. Because I hated the anxiety that I had walking in there and knowing that I had to memorize a 38 to 50 page script every single game and then talk on camera to what they said was 20,000 people. It was a terrible season. It was like seven to 9,000 people, right? It, I have never, yeah. ever had any more anxiety for any gig that I've ever worked in my life than I did for that. At the same time, I fought through it, and every single game I went out there, and it was the most gratifying feeling ever. Who you are and what you've done is exactly a reflection of why we wanted you on this podcast. I don't give a fuck about any of the accolades or any of any of that. You have provided an exemplary aspect of hospitality, but also injected your own curiosity and your lack of wanting to settle for this is just how we do things into everything that you've ever done. Everywhere that you've gone, when we've all gone there to visit, I've loved the restaurants. Don't get me wrong. Like, Sam and I are boys. I know, <laughs> Joe. Like, we're cool. Eat Street was great. Kosovich and I are homies. Like, yeah. when I see him, we hug. We weren't going there for them. We were going there for you. We were going there for the chef. We were going there for the people who actually execute what's going on. So wherever you go, if you tell us you are executing something and this is something that you're passionate about, we're going to go. The, the authenticity comes down to who's the person making it. I've had an old-fashioned in, I don't know, let's just, whatever, like 50 cities, right? Or 100 cities. The drink is this, I can make it at home. The difference is I want to go and have you make me a thing because I want to know what you're going to do with it. And it might be something as simple as a weird whiskey blend. Or you might throw in a fucking MSG solution. I, I don't know, but we're there for that. Like, I would say the same thing. I've seen all kinds of great marketing all over the world. I've seen incredible ads. The fact is... I still recommend Charles when somebody's looking for somebody yeah. because I know who that human is and I love watching where he's headed. And I know that his creativity and his talent would would lend something to that. Intellectually I hear everything you're saying. It's and tough like, to I swallow. I appreciate it and like it means the fucking world and I love you to death. And like that fear, like I used to get anxious every before every shift. Mm -hmm. You know, pre shift I was anxious. Um, before doing a talk, I'd go puke, you know, like that mm -hmm. was, I'm familiar with that piece of it. There's something about not having 
like there's nothing to hide behind like mm-hmm. the light there's no shadows like this business and this thing and how we do these things like there's nothing besides what we choose and that is a new form of fear or terror which is and all i will say not bad i don't think no i think you're 100 percent right all i will say is that this is just the first time that the spotlight's been in front of you shining down nope the spotlight's been behind you shining on you this entire time and that was that's why so many of us have followed wherever your adventures go like that that's how it works like i feel the same way about you that i do about about bands that i love like there's just this person puts out the stuff that i want and i will go wherever that goes and i think that like i've i've had to tell myself that in the mirror before because i'm not technically like a great dj i just throw really good parties but i had to swallow the pill to say that i throw really good parties like charles even before you and i got close if you were into something, I kind of knew that I wanted to be there because you go to good shit. <laughs> and like, regardless of everything else going on in your life, that's just, I was like, all right, well, if Charles is going to this thing, as we were like more just friends on social media, I'm like, well, that that must be like a, a, a cool thing. So the beard so stamp fucking, of approval. Right? Yep. You know, like <laughs> there, are the, the more that you fall in love with the humans, the more that you realize like, it doesn't matter. I'm here for that human. Like, whatever the experience is, it's going to be a thing. And knowing the fact that, like, we're not going to settle for me, Like, nobody here is a C student. We're all just going to fucking swing. The failures and the successes are equally fun to experience. You know, like, I've, again, 100%. I've, I've opened so many bars. And so many of them don't exist anymore. But every one of them at one point was fucking great. And it was, it was a magical little moment. Some stuff is meant to last forever. Some stuff is meant to be here momentarily. <clears throat> but either way, you put the emotion into it. And that's, that's the juice right there. Yeah. It's going yeah. somewhere and knowing that whatever you're going to experience or have comes from a place of love and comes from a lot of hard work and a lot of sweat and maybe some tears. Well, yeah, the, the, the fear is a good thing. Let it motivate you, yep. you know. Don't let it scare you away. Let it scare you forward. Absolutely. Scare me forward you, all day You should long. be afraid, but it just means that you're mm-hmm. going to be cautious and smart and plan properly. Mm-hmm. It's like we've been talking throughout this episode about how, like, knowing you don't know everything is more important. It's the best. It's, it's the most important thing. Liberating. Thinking you know everything means you're, you're, you're dead on arrival. You're done. You don't know everything. Mm-hmm. None of us knows everything. When I started my business, I had that fear because I put every fucking cent into starting Patmos 14 years ago. Every fucking cent. I'm about to pay off. Here's a here's a little interesting kernel. 14 years later, I'm going to pay off the last personal lo- loan, um, the last debt that I have for my business. And the irony is that that debt was for my mom. She's turning 70 next month, and I owe her some money. And she's not going to listen to this, but I owe her some money that I think she never thought she would ever see. So I'm going to give it to her for her birthday and write her a card that says, for your birthday, it's not, it's not the money, for your birthday, your 70th birthday, I want you to know that you made a good bet. That's literally one um, of the most beautiful things I've ever heard in my life. 
And I recount this every year because it That's pops perfect. up in my memories yeah. on Facebook. But I used to eat one russet potato for dinner every night. I would cut it up into fries and bake it, try and make it fancy, spray some ketchup on it. And that was my dinner because I had no money. I was living with a friend's brother and not paying him rent because I had no money. But I'd still fucking put a tie on and show up to work with one employee in this beautiful new studio that I opened in the middle of a goddamn recession and would present my best self and worked as hard as I goddamn could to try and get the thing going where I wanted to Amazing. go. And it took a long time. Yep. We started in 2008. Yep. Nine. Uh, 2008, yeah. 2008 was... Fuck off. Yep. That's... It. Honestly, that's the model. Like all of you doing that in the recession and that moment, p- placing that bet and following through. Like that's the exact same thing. Twenty twenty, like, that was yeah. our moment. Oh, that was yes. our thing. Like, it's yes, like the same thing. And if I'm able, like fuck five years, like in fourteen years, if I'm able to say the things that you're saying now, like that would be, that would be heaven. And honestly, it's inspiring to hear and. We got the timestamp. Yeah. Yeah. Here yeah. it is. I think we're going to get it tattooed on, on your chest. We'll make it happen. Do it with you, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Triumph and glory. That's speaking, right. speaking of that, we should probably uh, bring the horses back into the stable. Uh, oh, yeah. They're Marco, winning. They're winning. I want you to let let everybody know, like, where to find what you're doing. And, wh- like, what do you want to what do you want to put out there right now? Uh, yeah, I'm bad at social media. Um, I have a handle. It's Marco Zapia, um, but there's no pictures, but you can message me. <laughs> check yeah, out. Check that out. occasion. Yeah. Oh. Um, and so then the when you where, um, your company can be found. Uh, company's called, uh, Trace Leches. Um, we are over at the food building in Northeast Minneapolis. Um, we're just launching our jazz and one step at a time and can be found in some of my in in one of my clients' uh, fridges as their NA beverage. Mm-hmm. We're, we're blessed to have it because it's super cool to have something that is that impactful. That is an NA beverage. It's available at all times. That's at Falling Knife. We're just selling our, our chef and bartending brood friends right now until we get our shit together. Love it. Yeah, we need help. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Like, uh, as a human, I've, from the minute I met you, I've just kind of always loved you. And I'm, I I just truly feel lucky that uh, as our friendship has grown, like, all of those feelings have grown too. Like, you're just a wonderful human, and I'm really glad that I have you in my orbit. Yeah, brother. And uh, Charles, I feel the same way, man. Like, (laughs) I think we got a lot deeper down the... The friendship and affection hole than I, I thought we were going to go, but honestly, like... Hold on. I, friendship the and affection friendship hole. and affection hole. Yeah. yeah okay, let's, that's not happening. Let's go so deep. The beads. <laughs> the bead noise. Uh, Hold on. Oh, oh, GD Sprinkles. Yeah, GD Sprinkles. <laughs> uh, I, no, it's, I love the fact that I'm the only one that can hear this. I can't wait to play your sound. <laughs> if I could also just remark that it is cool when, like, I had, like, when, when Gorski was on the program yeah. and he had previously been on the old iteration mm-hmm. of libations for everyone and now marco's on i love it because that's part of the reason that topic was what it was is we're checking back in we've all developed as human beings yeah. and as professionals and it's cool to have this experience and um i 
I cherish having these types of experiences in real life and on the podcast. It's again, this is a form of payment for us mm-hmm. being able to have uh, conversations like these. Fuck wealth as far as money is concerned. Like I, I am so, I'm so rich in the love that I get to experience in my life. And tonight was just another example of it. I, I am, I am so fortunate to have both of you in my orbit and I fucking love both of you. Uh, to everyone out there listening, tell someone you love them. Mm. Tell someone that's not your partner you love them. Also, tell someone you hate them. Yeah, do that too, man. Wait. Like, Fuck you. Hold on. I've had a lot to drink tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you got to slap uh, a motherfucker on international sprinkles. television. Oh, man. We didn't talk about that once. Are you extend the podcast? Is this for the... Uh, oh, man. <laughs> that's, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Either way, uh, I hope you all feel loved, and I hope nobody walks on stage and slaps you. Uh, we love you so much. Again, uh, throw a subscribe, throw a like, do whatever, throw a review. We love you so much. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode. Yo.